You're listening to Historical AF, or if you cuss like we do, Historical As Fuck. This is your elated historian, Kina. And I'm your lively librarian, Ashley. We're here to deliver the funny, weird, spooky, morbid, and random historical nuggets you never knew you needed. Want to know why I'm elated, guys? Me and Ashley both got job interviews in the same day. Woo! Ah, I'm so excited. Oh, yes. The life of a historian and a librarian looking for a job. Yes, and they are both, like, dream jobs, so. Oh, my God, I know. I'm so excited. I'm so happy. And I'm excited because this is our episode 10, so we are in double digits, y'all. Woo! Oh, my God. I, like, my heart hurts a little bit with so much excitement for us being at episode 10. Oh, I'm overly stimulated, overly caffeinated, and about to be overly vaccinated. So. Oh, yes. Vodka is like happy water for fun people. Dude, I love vodka. I just didn't buy any before today. And Terry took my car to work, so I'm stranded. Yeah, it's my uh, diet drink with my diet Sprite because nice. I think I mentioned last time I like donuts too much. So now I'm on a diet. Mm, donuts. <sighs> now I want donuts. Shit. Anyway, I yeah. am uh, pounding a coffee drink right now. And then I have my ice chest full of alcohol sitting next to me. Oh, what do you have? I have, let's see. Yes, I have. I'm still going old school back to my undergrad days with Smirnoff ice grapes. And then I also went to our neighborhood gas station and got a Bud Light Lime Grape Arita. Ooh, so fancy. I hate beer, so I don't know how that's going to go. But, you know, whatever. It was cheap. It was like $2. I think I had the limeade one, and it went bad. It still tastes like beer. It tasted like early college beer pong days, but, I mean, it wasn't horrible. Yeah, Smirnoff Ice was what I did in college for, like, beer pong and stuff, which was probably a terrible idea, because I just don't like beer. So we're going to see how it goes. If nothing else, when Terry gets home, he'll be excited that he has a nasty beer to drink. <laughs> so, how was your week besides us getting our job interviews? It was really good. I had, I think I mentioned my friend coming to visit me for his hipster concert. (laughs) So I got him and his wife came and I showed him around San Antonio. We went to the river walk and did all that fun stuff. Sunday, I went to the museum that I happened to have an interview for and geeked out all day. So I'm so pumped. You did. It was so cool. I was sending her pictures like every two seconds like, oh my God, this is from episode five. Oh my God, this is from like episode two or whatever. Like literally (laughs) it's stuff I've talked about, like especially the Akhenaten Armana period, which you guys know how much I love. They have a whole wall and I was just, oh my God, in heaven. So I'm really, fingers crossed, guys. I need a job. Yes. Because shocker, podcasts don't really pay a whole lot. So shocking. Uh, it's fun though, but yeah, I need a real job. My husband's been bankrolling this operation since I went to grad school. So, same, 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 same. <laughs> uh, but yeah, other than that, everything's just been really fun and great here in Texas. I'm making everybody increasingly jealous with all my posts of exploring. Real and- talk. Yeah, I'm really excited. And then next week, my sister and my mom are coming down, <laughs> and we're gonna go to Pride. Which should be really fun. And then uh, and then you're coming down. Yes, I'm so excited. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really pumped. 
but yeah, it's been a good time. And I'm really excited about today's theme, which is serial killers. So I have been geeking out about that too, because as you know, your girl is like half historian, half psychology degree. So this is, oh, I'm so excited. Yes. So, so obsessed with serial killers and it's gotten a little weird, but yes, I'm so pumped <laughs> for it. So How was yeah. your week? My week has been pretty good. I have been like such a bum and have been binging so much TV. I just discovered Letterkenny and in three days I've <laughs> watched all but like the last three episodes that's on Hulu right now before the new season starts. I watched all of The Act, half of Lucifer, all of The Society, half of Slasher. Like, oh my God, I've been a complete slug. Okay, real talk about Letterkenny. My husband is from Wisconsin, like almost Canada, Wisconsin. So I'm watching that and I'm like, this is, is this how people feel when they watch Southern things? Like there is a disconnect. I don't understand a lot of this as like, is this the cultural barrier between the two of us? Because he was dying laughing at a few things. And I'm like, huh. I was like, this must be what like hillbilly movies are like for other people. Cause I wasn't getting it. <laughs> yeah. Funny. But I was like, man, yeah, we're, we're yes. different people. I love it. And there are 100% jokes that I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. But then, like halfway through me watching it, I started it over at the beginning so I could watch it with Terry. Mm -hmm. And like, after kind of getting used to some of their dialect and references and stuff, and then going back and hearing them again, I laughed twice as hard. <laughs> and I've already told Terry that once I finish and catch up with what's on Hulu right now, I'm definitely going to go back and rewatch it because... My life has basically become like nothing but Letterkenny quotes. I'm pretty sure when I was at my parents the other day, I said, not my pig, not my farm, at least seven times in four hours. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've started watching that. We had to put a pause to watch our Drunk Dive movie last night. But uh, yeah, I'm really pumped. Although I'm like a weirdo. Like I like things like I'm still trying to get caught up on Hans Handmaid's Tale, but it's so depressing that I can only do it in like small spurts. Yeah, uh, Handmaid's Tale is really triggering for me. I watch it every week, but I mean, like, I have to watch it and then not talk to anyone for a couple days because it devastates me. Yeah, it's so depressing. And then we've also been watching Chernobyl, which is amazing. Oh, I my God. That. But it's also, like, I've read that they did such a good job with this that, like, it's word for word for yeah. most part of what they said even what they were wearing is identical and it's just so it's so heavy yeah <sighs> so i've been like breaking it up with letter kenny and like archer because we're a season behind. yes archer is another one that i quote just relentlessly so. okay so yeah so this episode's basically going to be filled with archer and letter kenny <laughs> quotes like i told terry like i texted terry in all caps so i was like oh I'm, omg i got a job interview and he's like pitter patter baby and i was like yes <laughs> You can always tell that we've married the right people. Like, right. oh my God, I love my husband so much. I told him I had an interview and he was like, all right, got to go get you a power suit. And I'm like, I, I love you. Right. <laughs> like, you like, buying yes. stuff. Yay. <laughs> oh God. I told my mom that and she was like, you have such a good husband. And I'm like, I know. Oh my God. On Sunday, I was like. I've never been with a guy who pumped my gas and Terry pumps my gas every single time we stop to get gas. He will not let me get out and pump it, which I know I should be like, girl power, I'll pump my own gas. But like, it's kind of <laughs> nice being able to just sit in the car and not make weird eye contact with people at the pump and like 
everyone was like, oh, he's so nice. He pumps your gas. I'm like, yes, yes, I love him. Yeah. Yeah, Zeke's also, I think I need to read that book, like, Girls Stop Apologizing, because I've been, like, conditioned to just apologize for everything and then just be, like, this ultimate caregiver, which is my personality type anyway. But lately, he was like, you need to be mean. (laughs) Like, you need to be able to say no. So he's been doing a lot of stuff to try to make me say no more make more decisions without thinking of him first and i'm like you're literally the first man ever that's been like i clean too much and i do too much for him he was like you need to be more selfish and i'm like i agree (laughs) now we need to have like a little personal book club and both read it because i need to do that same shit too oh i know i've heard it's amazing so it's definitely on my list of things to do although I, I do, like, way too much research for this podcast, so it's really time-consuming. <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to read, uh, what is it, Things That No One Will Tell Fat Girls, and it's about, like, body positivity and stuff, but I'm having trouble getting into it, and I think it's just because I'm so in denial about the fact that I need to have self-confidence, so, you know, whatever. Yeah, I've also been, like, binge-watching, like, Lizzo stuff, because she is, like, the epitome <gasps> of, like, self-confidence, and I just want to be... She is a queen, and I just want to be that happy. I've been listening to her nonstop in the last week. So, yeah, Lizzo is life right now for me. Lizzo yeah, and Letterkenny. She did a uh, sister act tribute at the MTV <gasps> Movie Awards. You need to watch that stat. It was beautiful and amazing, and I love her so much. Well, I'll go find that in a little bit. I follow her on Instagram, so I just... Me too! I just started following her. <laughs> I love her so much. Oh, my gosh. So... I guess we should get to serial killers. Oh, hell yes. Like, I've mentioned before, like, I went to school for psychology. And this was my favorite part was, the, like, you know, serial killers. And I think I mentioned that I met that FBI profiler. Once. Oh, yeah. I didn't do any of the stuff he talked about. Listen, I am such a, like, wuss. I picked a lot of stuff from this, like, 19th century so we can have a disconnect. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> I, I almost did one that's like a current case, but there wasn't enough on it because they're currently in trial. But I, we're going to have to do like six parts of this one because oh, there's yeah. so many. I couldn't choose. And I, I'm really pumped. Do you want to roll to see who goes first? Sure. All right. I'll try not to throw it across the room this time. No promises. the damn thing all right so for morbid i'm gonna do elizabeth bathory do you know (gasps) her i love her is it the blood countess yes 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 i'm really excited about this because i did a shit ton of research on different aspects because there's like some new controversy about her that i did not know so we're gonna get into that at the end but i'm really excited all right so She has been described as the most vicious female serial killer in all of recorded history. So it's a little fuzzy on, like, what really happened and what is urban legend at this point. It's kind of impossible to determine because this was the 15 and 1600s and there wasn't a whole lot of stuff that was recorded. But she's, like, famous for being almost like a legendary vampire and she's almost more famous than uh, Vlad the Impaler. And some people actually insist that she inspired Dracula. So there's a little bit of a 
I like that option better. Sorry, I had to think about it for a second. Yes, I like that option better because he runs the world, girls. Yes. And I did read a lot of uh, a lot of contemporary historians and authors are starting to kind of push that she is the true Dracula, not Vlad the Impaler. Love it. Uh, Although he also was a scary shit dude that I wouldn't want to have tea with or whatever they do in Europe. I don't know. Real talk. (laughs) All right. So as the blood countess that she was later known as, she, oh, I already said that. God damn it, Kina. My notes. (laughs) (laughs) I did it this time. I just said she was the most prolific serial killer. Okay. Damn it. Okay. She was born. (laughs) Okay. She was born in 1560. And she was apparently endowed with good looks, wealth, and an excellent education. She had a very, like, stellar social position as the Bathory family. And they ruled over Transylvania as virtually independent principality within the kingdom of Hungary. So, her family... (laughs) Struggle busting over there. Yes, I'm struggle busting and I just cut my finger open trying to open a Smirnoff ice. Go on. no! (laughs) It's okay, it's a tiny cut. Go on. I saw your face out of the corner of my eye. I was like, oh, something just happened. I just realized I said ow out loud. And then I was like, I hope that wasn't very loud. But it probably was. <laughs> Anywho. Yeah. If I couldn't see you, I probably wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> okay, good. We're like staring at each other. Uh, with yay, Skype. Which, by the way, last episode, there were a few like robotic voice things that I couldn't edit out because it would have edited out. Yeah. Skype is fun. Yeah, Skype is the worst. Sometimes we just turn into robots. It's fine. That's why Ashley needs to move here so that we can do this in the same room. It'll be awesome. Yes. Yes. All right. So, oh, and a side note, her uncle was also the king of Poland. So very important family, very important status. I did not know that. Yeah. I didn't know either. When she was 11 or 12, she was betrothed to Ferenc Nadsi. Oh, man, I was going to look that up. Ferenc Nadsi. Anyway, she was betrothed. <laughs> and he was from another very aristocratic, wealthy Hungarian family. But a year or two later, she had a baby with a lower class lover. Get it, girl. Okay. Also, remember, this was like 1500s. So that shit doesn't fly. Yeah. One. You're not supposed to have sex before marriage. That whole barbaric bullshit. Two, he was a lower class. So that also was big, huge. Probably more so because she was kind of like heiress to basically a whole country. Yeah, that's a faux pas. She can't be fucking with the the peasants. Nope. So it gets really dark right here. Okay. Excellent. So the betrothed dude... I'm not even going to say his name anymore. It's too hard. I don't speak Hungarian, okay? I just don't. (laughs) I feel like I do it to myself. I pick all these really hard countries, and I don't know how to speak the language. And then every week I look at our little, like, footprint of where we're going in the country. And I keep seeing these countries, and I'm butchering their language popping up, and I know they're listening. And I just, a blanket apology for everything. I'm sorry. I love history. I just can't pronounce stuff. Hey, it's a noble attempt. I'm proud of you. <laughs> oh, anyway, so the dude she's betrothed to had the guy castrated and then torn to pieces by dogs. That's excessive. Right? It got really dark. 
It, it gets much darker from this point on. Like Normally, I'm like, hey, it gets better. It doesn't get better. So, she actually outranked her husband socially. And then she kept her last name Bathory. And then he had to take her last name. Ooh, boss move. Right? I mean, again, 1500s. This is a big fucking deal. So, they lived in this castle in Hungary. And it's where Slovakia is today. But he was an ambitious soldier, so he was often away. Elizabeth ran the estates, and she took various lovers and bore her husband four children. And uh, when she was 43 years old, he died. Okay. That escalated quickly. Yeah. Although, if she's taking all these lovers, how does she know those kids are his? Oh, yeah, true. She she gets the kids. (laughs) She's got children. Okay. And word was beginning to spread about her sadistic activities. It was said that she enjoyed torturing and killing young girls. So, again, this escalates very quickly. At first, they were servants at her castles, daughters of the local peasants, but later they included girls sent to her by local gentry families to learn good manners. Can you imagine? They're like, time for charm school. And you're like, oh, shit. What if... I know they're, like, totally different time periods, but what if, like, say she and Anne Boleyn existed at the same time, and instead of being sent to France, Anne Boleyn's family sent her to, like, Hungary to, like, go to charm school under Bathory? That sounds like a book you need to write. I agree. I'm still working <laughs> on my memoir, but after that, I might go into the uh, historical fiction. Be, like, an alternate reality Yes. Oh shit. I love oh, it. No one can steal that idea. TM. TM. Yes. Copyright that shit. I'm trying to what is it? Uh uh what oh god, I panicked. <laughs> what is it called? Uh fair usage. I don't remember. We're gonna move on. Okay, moving on. Um, there was also rumors that she liked to drink the blood of young girls to preserve her youthfulness and her looks. I'd rather be wrinkly. Mm, yeah. Yuck. Witnesses told of her stabbing victims or biting their breasts, hands, faces, and arms. She would cut them with scissors or she would stick needles into their lips and burn them with red hot irons. And some were beaten to death and others were starved to death. So, I mean, that's a whole lot of nope. I don't know which would be worse. Probably the scissors, maybe? The the needles in the lips are the ones that I can't. I don't know, but when she's, like, chopping your nose off or your ears or something. That's oh, yeah. Although my first thought was, like, they had scissors back then? God, that was, like, the <laughs> dumbest first thought I had. <laughs> like, why would that be my first thought? <sighs> I swear I'm smart. Okay. But the story that she bathed in blood was added later on. So that one isn't true, but all the other ones are a little up for a... Uh... So... Let's make a drinking game out of this. <laughs> the rules are simple. Every time you're grossed out, take a shot. Or drink. Oh, God. Just... Hang on. Let me just hold my <laughs> go on. Oh, all right. I hope you have a full bottle or... and a strong stomach because here we go. <laughs> all right. A lot of these are according to the surviving testimonials that were used to convict her. All right. So. She kept servants chained up every night so tight that their hands turned blue and then they would eventually spurt blood. Uh, Drink. (laughs) Sip. 
I got a straw. <laughs> Very excited. Okay. She beat them to the point that there was so much blood on the walls and beds that they had to use ashes and cinders to soak it up. Ooh, don't like that. Don't like that at all. She beat a servant in Vienna so loudly that her neighbors, that were coincidentally monks, <laughs> threw clay pots at the walls in protest. Okay. She strangled a servant to death with a silk scarf, a harem technique known as the Turkish way. She burned her servants with metal sticks, red hot keys, and coins, ironed the soles of their feet, and stuck burning iron rods into their vaginas. Mm-mm. Nope, I gotta take a drink. I'm taking a drink for that one. Nope, 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 nope. Nope. Why is it always the feet? Ugh. So gross. Oh, no. So painful. That's Ugh. very, very sensitive areas, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, she stabbed them, pricked them in their mouths and fingernails with needles, cut their hands, lips, and noses with scissors. I was right. It was the noses. Ugh, ah. no. um, oh, oh, God. I didn't read these. I just <laughs> did it so we'd both be surprised. Okay. She, <laughs> she, she used needles, knives, and candles and her own freaking teeth to lacerate their genitals. Mm-mm, nope. Oh, do not. Do not like this. Oh, that's like that whole thing where, like, if your brain didn't stop you, you could bite through your finger like a carrot. <laughs> we used to do that. We used to tell the teens that all the time because we're messed up like that. But, yeah, so, ooh, so. Mm. Mm. She stitched their lips and tongues together. I'm going to take a drink for that one. Nope. Uh, yeah. Mm. I'm still digesting my last drink. Oh, Jesus. She made servants sit on stinging nettles, then bathe with said stinging nettles. During the bath, she'd push the nettles into their shoulders and breasts. How very (sighs) salad fingers of her. (laughs) She had them stand in tubs of ice water up to their necks outside until they died. Eh, at least I'd fall asleep eventually. Oh, Jesus. She smeared a naked girl with honey and left her outside to be bitten by ants, wasps, beans, beans, Jesus, fuck, bees, and flies. Didn't they do that in Heavyweights? I don't know. I don't think I watched that. It's a wonderful movie. But, yes, I feel like they tied one of the instructors up to the, a tree covered in honey. If I remember that's, that's, that's horrible. It is. That's awful. It was a comedy, though. but this is not listen guys I got this comedy you need to watch (laughs) they're gonna tie you up in a tree cover you in honey and let the insects devour you it's funny I swear I don't know (laughs) (laughs) alright she kept them from eating for a week at a time and if they got thirsty made them drink their own urine now Bear Grylls does that for fun it's true it's a whole TV show he makes lots of money yeah Oh, God. Force them to cook and eat their own flesh, usually from their butt. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> terrible. But they ate their butts. They ate, ate that booty butt. like groceries. Or make sausages and serve it to de- guests. Okay. Daddy, would you like some sausage? <laughs> this is exactly what was in my mind. Oh, God. Right there, right. man. Oh, they heated up a cake, ooh, cake, 
to red hot temperatures and then made a servant eat it. Mm. I, I mean, I do that anyway. Okay, so the other day we went to this little diner and I was like, ooh, fried pickles. And like the night before I would like burnt my mouth and I was like, yeah, I'll be fine. But then I bit onto the pickle and like the top roof of my mouth got even more burnt. And I was like, ah, and I was trying to like eat it with like being proper lady or whatever. And I just couldn't, it just started like crumbling out of my mouth. And Zeke is laughing so hard and he's trying to scramble to grab his phone to record it. And I'm like, ah, my mouth. So marriage. I love how I love how often y'all like video each other with things like terrible things happening. With like me, if I take a picture of Terry doing something, he's like, "You better not put that on Facebook." I'm like, "Fine." Oh God! Recently, Zeke bit down to get something, and his belt loop got caught on the handle to the cabinet. I didn't put it on Facebook, but I sent it to Ashley. It was the funniest <laughs> goddamn thing I've ever seen. And he's just like, why are you recording this? I, I hate you. <laughs> he's like, stop laughing at me. It was great. He was stuck in a squat position for like five minutes. I know. It's like, how's your legs feel? He's like, I hate you. Stop it. <laughs> and then he was like, why is this happening to me? <laughs> It was great. It was a freak accident. He was, like, bending down to, like, pet the dog or something. It was total, like, once in a lifetime. And I'm so glad that I caught it on film. I am, too. Yeah. It, I have it in my phone. So if I'm ever having a bad day, I just watch it. And it's just like, in a good mood immediately. <laughs> this is beautiful. Anywho. Yeah, he's got stuff on me, too. If exactly. he says he doesn't, he is lying. So... He, like, like, grabs his phone every time I do something dumb, which is often, <laughs> but. <laughs> All right. So she baked a magical poisonous cake in order to kill a rival magistrate. Ooh. I mean, I mean same, honestly. I mean, that's a good way to go. Yeah. Cake is always a good way to go. Big mood. She supposedly casted a magical spell to summon a cloud filled with 90 cats to torment their enemies. That's oddly, oddly specific. I don't feel like that's real. I feel like yeah. somebody set up like we're gonna write this down, and somebody like twenty you know, first century is gonna be like, this really happened. Yeah. <sighs> All right. She had an ongoing affair with some guy named Ironhead Steve. Okay. She stuffed five servants' corpses underneath a bed and continued to feed them as if they were still alive. Okay. She buried them in gardens, grain pits, orchards, and occasionally cemeteries, sometimes with rites, often with not. Without. With not. God damn, can't. Mm. English. Okay. <laughs> so that's just some of the charges that were levied against her in her lifetime. After she died, more details started to emerge, like that she bathed in the virgin's blood, which. You know, I already mentioned before, that's a lie that somebody came up with afterwards. But wouldn't it be impossible to bathe in blood? Doesn't it coagulate? Hmm. Uh, I feel like if you kept it at a reasonable temperature. I didn't want to Google it because my Google searcher is already pretty fucked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I keep forgetting to incognito search that shit. But (laughs) me too. I'm assu- here's my assumption with no like research to back it up is that she probably like kept it heated somehow like 
nearby fire or something so it wouldn't coagulate quite that quickly. But then, like, afterwards, wouldn't you need to take, like, a cold bath to get the blood off? I imagine. I imagine, too, because there's a contemporary serial killer that bathed in blood. And that one isn't a lie. Oh. So, I guess it's possible. I'm not going to do any research on that, like, experiment. I'm good. I I do like the image of her, like, bathing in blood that completely coagulates into, like, a blood cake. And she's just stuck in the middle of it with, like, T Rex arms. (laughs) Yeah, that's just what I see. That's exactly Uh, what I'm picturing. Yes. All right. Some other rumors is that she had syphilis. And I'm assuming that's probably because she was considered promiscuous. But she wrote a lot of letters where she's very sound of mind. So I don't think that's true either. Some people said she was epileptic, um, which a lot of people in those days associated with, like, demonic possession and stuff. But um, there's really no proof on that either. Although she did mention that her eye hurt once in a letter, but that's about it. Some people said that she was menopausal, so thus crazy. So there's that. Not really a correlation, but okay. Although, I mean, to be fair, in this time, they thought your uterus just floated around and bumped into things. So when it was, like, uh, bumping against your brain, it made you crazy. No yeah. joke, guys. People really thought this. <laughs> so it's, ah. All right. Eventually, a Lutheran minister went to the Hungarian authorities, who eventually began to investigate her in 1610. Though previous accounts of murder of peasants were ignored... The claims in 1609 that she killed a noble woman attracted attention. So nobody gave a shit that she was murdering peasants. But as soon as somebody of status was taken, everybody's like, oh, no, you can't do that. What are you doing? That's a whole ass dowry that was wasted. (laughs) Hell yes. So the count determined after taking depositions from people living in the area surrounding her estate, that Bathory had tortured and killed more than 600 girls with the assistance of her servants. That is a lot of people. It's a lot. In December of that year, Elizabeth was arrested, and so were four of her favorite servants. They were tried and found guilty. Her servants were sentenced to execution, and she was sentenced to a life of imprisonment again because of her status. The sentences sentences went in effect almost immediately. Her female accomplices were allegedly Old ladies that had their fingers torn off with iron tongs and once fingerless, their bodies were tossed into a large fire. Yikes. Ugh. Medieval torture shit. No thanks. The male accomplice was less of a participant to the supposed crime, so he was decapitated and then thrown into a fire. Okay. Elizabeth herself was not charged to death because of her status so she was confined in a room where the windows were walled up and then she lived there till she was 54 and she died in 1614 in conclusion yikes or is it all right so buckle up about to drop a giant twist on you (sighs) based off of evidence there's a case to be made that she is innocent Oh, mic drop. Okay. The overwhelming impression from all the documents that survived is that she was just kind of like a take no shit boss ass kind of bitch, right? Which back then didn't really fly, you know? So while her husband was off to war, she had to manage an incredible amount of staff. We're talking like thousands of servants. She governed the local populace and she handled an amount of properties 
uh, basically an entire country. So naturally, she needed everybody around her to know that she was the head bitch in charge. And she had no time for your shit. Again, didn't come off very well. Especially if you're a man living there. You're probably like, you can't tell me what to do. And she's like, sit the fuck down. Yes, I can. Oh, yeah. Yes. So so there's a lot of surviving letters that kind of show that this is her attitude, especially to her husband, which I mouth my husband all the time. But Real talk. Again, this isn't the 1600s. So one badass letter that she wrote to an encroaching squatter said... Do not think I shall leave you to enjoy it. You know, the settling on illegally on her land. You will find a man in me. So that translates roughly to, uh, I will end you. Like, don't test me. I will cut you. So, yeah, she said that a lot. Like, don't think of me any less than a man. I will do what I need to do. She was not warm and cuddly by any means, but there's no doubt that she probably made life pretty shitty for misbehaving servants. Or she most likely had her servants do it for her. But that's not really that uh, crazy to think about. Because a lot of people did that. Yeah. She probably did beat the hell out of them. And some probably died from it. Again, that's not anything that's completely out of the ordinary for that time. Um, And she had thousands of servants. So, you know, things happen. One scholar claims that the more outlandish tortures, like the stinging nettles, metal rods, and amateur acupuncture is what they're calling the needles here or contemporary folk remedies i want to know what the hell kind of folk remedy shoving a hot iron in a vagina is like what is that supposed Mm -hmm. to cure oh no no besides like slamming that clam shut i feel like they're reaching like yes needles in your lips is acupuncture it's fine it's fine so this theory says that george thurzo is what happen here that Mm -hmm. elizabeth was so powerful that she had a huge target on her back so at this time the batteries are kind of like the kennedys in the united states they're rich they're powerful they're untouchable like they can pretty much do whatever they want so by the time all this went down elizabeth's cousin was gunning for the throne and was literally starting a war at this time and Elizabeth was widowed, and she had more money than anybody else. So this Thorzo guy was like, fuck that. I'm not going to let these two partner up because her money, his army, they're going to take the throne. So he decided to take Elizabeth down in this theory. Okay. There's evidence in correspondence with his wife, who apparently kept forgetting to write in code, <laughs> <laughs> which I find hilarious. That would be me. <laughs> Like, top secret confidential, and you're like, oh, oops, I forgot. Uh. So anyway, he had written that he was going to make moves against Elizabeth about a year earlier to this. He had been in contact with local church leaders who were uh, trying to kind of, like, whip up the general populace against the Bathory's by telling them stories. Stories that would often be repeated. Therefore, this is kind of the argument that they spread the rumors that nobody actually witnessed anything, but people were like, oh, did you hear? And then people were like, oh, guess what I heard? And then, you know how, like, the telephone game goes, you know? But also, you know, there's always those people who are like, oh, I was there, I saw that. And they didn't really see that. In Letter Kenny, <laughs> they say bad gas travels fast. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> In all likelihood, it was standard operating procedure at the time that the members of Elizabeth's household would be tortured before testifying, too. So we all know that if you're being tortured, you're probably going to say whatever anybody wants to hear. 
So the only way to get rid of somebody as powerful as Elizabeth at the time was to catch her red-handed, which Thurzo is the one that said he caught her red-handed. Okay. So he's the one that showed up and said that he caught her in the act of torturing people. But he's also supposedly the same guy that's like, we got to get rid of her. And some people said that it took up to 24 hours for him to produce any evidence. Because he's also the one that said that he found a lot of bodies and stuff. That's fishy. A little sketchy. So there's authors like Leslie Nagy and Dr. Irma. Oh, my God. It's like S-Z-A-D-E-C-Z-K-Y Zadesky. Let's go with that. Okay. They've argued that she was a victim of a conspiracy. And they made a couple of more arguments to say that she was innocent. But there's a couple of, like, counter arguments that say that if this is true, then why did the complaint spark from a Lutheran minister? Like, what would he have to do with it? But then the authors are also saying that they started with the church to try to uproot her. Mm, that would make sense. Yeah. Um, okay, to support her innocent, the testimony of around 300 witnesses and the physical evidence collected would have to be disputed. But that evidence supposedly included numerous bodies of dead and dying girls. But then again, like I said, Thurzo was the one that found it. Anyway, so the actual conclusion is nobody knows. So... She could have been, she's probably a horrible person. I'm not disputing that. But the fact that she tortured and killed and bathed in blood and stuff is a little up to grabs because a lot of the actual documents don't actually say anything. And the guy that uh, said he found it is the one that's got it out for her. Hmm. Yeah, and like, I've also heard similar arguments for uh, Madame LaLaurie in New Orleans. Oh, yeah. That a lot of that was like exaggerated because of who she was at the time. And, like, I really, I'm really fascinated by that with both of them. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense. Like, historically speaking, women of great power have been, their names and their reputations have been smeared post-death. Yep. So, it makes a lot of sense to me. Because, like, Anne Boleyn, like, we talked about her earlier. They said she had, like, six fingers on one hand. She was ugly. She was a witch. She had deals with the devil. This was all written afterwards as a way to like ruin her reputation but none of it was true so it makes a lot of sense let's be real i could count off on like all nine of my fingers that um of like people who would talk shit about me after i die oh yeah 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 people are horrible i'll say the worst shit before i die (laughs) but yeah so if she did do it that's horrible but there's also some new evidence that people I mean, listen, I could have done more research, but I can't speak these languages. But a lot of people that are trying to retranslate a lot of this are starting to say, well, there's a little bit more to this or it doesn't make sense. Yeah. But a lot of these, I mean, it's kind of a grain of salt because a lot of these authors aren't historians either. So are they writing what they think would be a good story or are they writing what they actually found? So there were a few people being like, well, we don't speak that language. I can't translate it. So I don't know if they're telling the truth. So. I think it kind of goes either way. So. Yeah, it's that, like, three sides to a story thing, the mm-hmm. two sides and the truth kind yeah. of thing. So, yeah. so, so yeah. I don't know. I don't think she was a vampire, but I'm not sure she's that innocent either. But Yeah, I definitely think she at least uh, inspired some vampire tales. Oh, yeah. She's a legend regardless, but. Cool. I liked it. I liked it a lot. So, do you want... Weird, historical, or funny? 
Historical. Okay, cool. That is what I had put first. Okay. <laughs> For mine, okay, first, before I get into this, let me tell y'all that as much as I love true crime and serial killer stuff and all of that and, like, talk way too much about it at parties, my husband knows so much more than me. So I actually tasked him with picking out the people I was going to talk about today because oh, cool. he saw that I wrote down our theme for the week and was like, you could talk about this person or that person and talked for 30 minutes just straight about people I could talk about without even knowing what I rolled or whatever. So I let him pick and I told him his only like caveats were that it had to be people that aren't super well known because I wanted to go kind of a little bit deeper. So. Husband picked all these. If you hate them, if you'll at Terry Root. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> okay, so my historical AF, I am going to talk about Rosemary West and her husband, Fred. Oh, that's amazing. I know nothing. I'm Excellent. I had only heard the name tangentially and only because they were used as the inspiration for a couple of Criminal Minds episodes. Ooh, I love Criminal Minds. Yes, I love Criminal Minds so much. So, this was a married duo of serial killers and serial rapists who killed at least a dozen young British girls, including several of their own daughters. Ugh! Yikes. Yikes on bikes. Yeah, no. Don't yes. like that. So, and I have to give a shout out to Criminal Minds Wiki, where I actually found a lot of this information. I did not know that Criminal Minds Wiki was an actual thing. But yes, so, this happened in England. Fred is from Much Markle, Herefordshire, England, and Rosemary is from Barnstaple, Devon, England. And while Fred died in 1995 on January 1st, Rosemary is actually still alive. Ooh. And serving a prison sandwich. Sandwich? Really? Prison sandwich? sandwich. Prison sentence. And fun fact, before I get into this, Terry told me that Rosemary recently, like within the last couple years, won the prison's baking contest. So there's just a little tidbit for you. But yes, since the podcast, I know, right? If you're listening, like, don't write us because you scare me. But anyway, (laughs) so uh, Fred was a former ice cream van driver and cow slaughterer, and Rosemary was a former prostitute. Okay, yeah, that is a interesting combination of employment right there yeah it's oddly specific and i guess it came in handy anyway like something somebody made up it doesn't seem right okay so i'm just going to read off the uh background on them and then i'll get into their actual crimes okay after my screen stops being an asshole okay so fred was born in much markle and he was the second of six children to walter stephen west and daisy hannah hill from his own accounts, sexual abuse of very various kinds was common in the household. He claimed that his father had sexual relationships with his daughters and then taught Fred bestiality, which is sex with animals. Oh, no. Super gross. Can we just also acknowledge that every one of these stories is going to be morbid to some extent? Yes. Because of serial killers. Too. Yes. But anyway, so it has also been suspected that Fred's mother was uh, sexually abusing him starting when he was about 12. Though he never really admitted to it, and it's never, like, truly been confirmed, but that's the prevailing rumor. So, so did not have a great life. 
So Fred also claimed that he engaged in incest with his sisters and impregnated one of them, but that was also never substantiated. Besides all that, Fred was like super close to his mom. And when he, I just blanked out staring at words. I forgot how to English. Okay. (laughs) When he was physically punished for doing badly in school, he would show like, he was really good at woodwork and artwork. And his mom was like, it says she was super obese and unattractive, which I don't know what that has to do in this article with all this, but whatever. But even though like there was supposedly a relationship between them that was inappropriate, she was still like super guarded of him. And if he would get in trouble at school, she would go up there and like yell at the teachers and like tell them not to pick on our kid and all that. So yeah, so he went to school until he was 15 and he got a job as farmhand. When he was, I also did not read through all of this, so it's a surprise to me, too. (laughs) So he was in a motorcycle accident when he was, like, 17. He was in a coma for a week and all of that, and it kind of gave him, like, personality changes like you get with a traumatic brain injury, a TBI. So he started having, like, breakdowns, temper tantrums, bursts of anger, And then a couple years after that, he hit his head again when he stuck his hand up a girl's skirt and she pushed him down the fire escape. Whoa! Which, good on her. Just putting that out there. I would also push you down a fire escape if uh, if you stuck your hands up my skirt. But anyway. One of those he was asking for it? Yeah, yeah. Maybe what he was wearing. I don't know. So. Maybe he should smile more. Yeah, yeah. (sighs) Ugh. Sorry, that's a soapbox moment, too. Anyway, (laughs) when he was 19, he was convicted of molesting a 13-year-old girl, even though he didn't serve any jail time because the doctor said he couldn't be, it couldn't be helped because he had epileptic fits. Oh, no. So, like, dude had a history. So, he got fired for stealing from his workplace after this whole trial, and he was living with family and... Or he was living with his sister, but, like, the rest of his family was like, we're not going to talk to you. We wash our hands of you. So, yeah, so he got fired from, for stealing. And when he was 21, his family let him come back into their lives and much more, much Markle. Well, and then he started dating his old girlfriend, uh, Rena Costello. She was, like, well known for being a prostitute and a thief when they had dated before. And when they got back together, she was already pregnant with another man's child, but... Fred and Rena got married and then kept the child and raised it as their own. Okay. This is a weird tidbit. So the man who was the actual baby's father was a Pakistani man. And so to explain why the kid was half Pakistani, Fred and Rena would tell their parents and say that the kid that they had, like that she was pregnant with was actually stillborn And then this other baby lost its parents, so they took her, and it's not her blood kid, but... Yeah, like, it's just really weird. Like, just be upfront. You have a mixed kid. It's totally fine. Even at this time, but whatever. Okay. After they got back together, they moved to Scotland, and what Rena says is that he wasn't interested in what's called, you know, what was quote-unquote regular sex, and it was a little scary. And they had another kid, Anne-Marie... When, in 1964, during this time is when he became an ice cream truck driver, and that gave him access to ladies, young ladies. And after a while, he 
of doing this, he accidentally actually ran over a four-year-old boy with his truck. Ah! And it wasn't his fault, but it basically, like, collapsed his marriage, and he kind of spun even more out of control. Anyway, so basically, he met a friend of Rena's named Anna McFall and had a relationship with her, and she had his daughter. He, he was still married to Rena when he got with Anna and had a baby. And then once they had a kid, Anna was like, you need to divorce Rena. His response to this was that he cut up Anna and dismembered her and buried her somewhere. What? Oh, my God. That escalated. Yeah. It, like, zero to 60. Whoa. Just snapped and was like, nope. Snip, snip. You're away. That is not a normal, like, A to B, like, no. transition there. No. Yeah. That that train went off the rails. Mm. So a few months later, Rena actually left him and she left her kids, her kid and Anna's kid with him. Why? What is wrong with you? I, I why would you do that? Yeah, I don't know why, like, why she would just be like, okay, well, I'm going to leave. You're kind of scaring me. But here, have these children. But yeah, so she leaves them, leaves the kids. And then uh, he is suspected of killing again in 1968 when 15-year-old Mary Bastham disappeared from a bus stop. After the death of his mother in that February, he started committing a lot of petty thefts and he changed jobs a lot. And it was when he was a bakery truck driver, because, you know, running over a kid as an ice cream truck driver wasn't enough, he met his future wife and accomplice, Rosemary Letts. No, screw you, dude. Don't ruin bakeries for me i know right Ugh. especially because i have like donuts on my austin bucket list but whatever <laughs> so God that's the little it. background on him so let's do the background on rosemary oh man okay so she was born in devon england in 1953 her household was also troubled and abusive her father bill letts was schizophrenic and he constantly disciplined her her siblings and her mother daisy while Daisy was pregnant with Rosemary, she received ECT or electroconvulsive therapy as treatment for her severe depression, which, Whoa. holy shit, why would you do this to a pregnant woman? But okay. Can't, oh, that doesn't seem like a thing that you should be able to do. No, ECT scares the shit out of me now. And I mean, it's 2019 and it's be, like grown so much and become mm -hmm. so much more safe. But in the 50s, not only getting ECT, but also... Being pregnant? Like, what the hell? God, get it together, professionals. Yes. At least there's some, like, you know, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Regulations now. There's some regulate. Jesus. Yes. Christ. Horrifying. So, oh like Fred, Rosemary was also sexually abused by her father growing up. And it says because she wasn't very bright and a bit overweight, she was often teased and responded by attacking her bullies aggressively. Oh so also had anger issues. It, this is one of those, like, I feel really terrible that they were mistreated as kids, but I still don't think it gives them the right to turn into serial killers, but whatever. Yeah, I think it's like the difference between, like, a lot of people go through these horrible circumstances, but not everybody is a serial killer. And I think a lot of that is like the lack of empathy. If you're yep. a sociopath, you don't have any empathy for another human being. Yep. So I think that might be the disconnect. Like you could care less if a human or a dog or something dies. Just, yes. Yes. Ugh. 
So, and it gets even worse. So as a teenager, she was even more sexually active and she was caught getting into bed with one of her younger brothers and sexually fondling him. Oh, no. Gross, gross, gross. Because of her figure and because of her father's rules that prevented her from dating boys her own age, she pursued relationships with older men where she lived. So she was like that girl that we all knew in high school that went for older guys, always told you your dad was hot and and not in a funny, ironic way and didn't realize that any man who's over 18 and goes after a girl under 18 is actually a predator, but okay. Gross. So uh, while she was dating these older men, one of them actually took advantage of her and raped her. Oh, no. She was only 14, by the way, by this point. Oh, my God. Wasn't even halfway through teenhood, but whatever. So when she was 15, her mom had finally, like, gotten sick of her dad's shit. So she took Rosemary and she moved in with one of her older daughters and her older daughter's husband. So... Rosemary started spending even more time with male companions now that, like, she wasn't under her father's thumb and all that. But a few years later, out of nowhere, she moved back in with her father. Oh, no. Yeah, and they don't really explain why, but not long after that, she met Fred, who is 12 years older than her. And even though her dad was, like, a shitbag, he did not want her dating Fred. Was like, don't don't love this union in any way. And tried to discourage it. Was it like he was creeped out by him? Or he just didn't want her to have a relationship? See, I don't know. So it says that basically, not only did Rosemary's father not want her to be with him. He went to Fred's place with where Fred was living with his two kids. And was like, I'm going to beat your ass if you don't stay away from my daughter. Oh, God. Yeah, so, like, I don't really understand if it was because he didn't want, he didn't like the age difference, or if he just wanted her under his thumb again, or what. It wasn't really clear, and I should have looked that up. Yeah, it could probably go either way, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. He had some pretty horrible tendencies himself. Yeah, which, uh, this might be part of it, too. So, Fred had done several stints in jail for theft and failure to pay fines and failure to appear and all that. So that could be part of it too, that like he had a record, but Rosemary eventually became pregnant with a child that they named Heather. So she went and stayed with him and took care of their kid and his two other kids. Oh, okay. So yeah, but because of her temper And she had a lot of resentment about taking care of kids that weren't hers. So she, like, treated her stepkids really bad. Oh, no. And just, like, perpetuating that cycle of abuse that I, oh, I hate that. So, in 1971, Rosemary snapped about something and killed Charmaine, the oldest stepdaughter. Ah! She severed her body's fingers and toes and then buried her under their kitchen floor. Why? Oh, my God. That's so oddly specific. I know. Like, why the fingers and toes? I don't know. It's. Well, she she was dead before she did that, right? Or was that part of her? Oh, my God. Ah, I think it was ah. after. I think it was after. I don't know. Maybe she was like, I don't want them to identify the body that I'm burying under my own floorboard. And when my stepdaughter goes missing, I don't know. She was a thinker. 
Oh, oh, she didn't bury the body under the kitchen floor. Fred buried the body under the kitchen floor. I just can't read. And oh, then, so, like, he was just like, all right, let's do this. Like, yeah, he was just like, well, upset. shit happens. I hope that mom feels like shit that left her kids with him. Well, I she, hope. Ooh. She probably <clears throat> did, but not for long. So, in August oh. of 1971, <laughs> Marina Costello came looking for her daughter, Charmaine. And also disappeared. Oh no! Because her body was found to have it had its fingers and toes cut off when it was discovered. Fred is suspected to have been the killer. (laughs) I really think it's like a if you can't fingerprint them or toe print them type thing, then it it didn't happen. I don't know. So yeah, so she also died. Oh my god! Fred and Rosemary got married in 1972. So like she killed this kid, and she wasn't even married to him. Yeah. Which I don't, that doesn't make it any better. Let me just preface that. It does not make it better if they're married or not before she kills this kid. Whatever. So January 29th, 1972 is when they got married. And then Fred encouraged Rosemary to still have sex with other men for money or fun. And he often like watched them through a peephole or in a closet or that kind of thing. So just like real fucking creepy. He took erotic photos of her and posted them in swinger magazine ads for prostitution. So he, like, pimped his own wife out. Oh, that's horrible. They had another daughter, Mae West, in order to make room for their expanding family. And Rosemary's business, they moved to 25 Cromwell Street, where they carried out their rapes and murders. Her business. Her business. Her hooking. Her hooking. She was hooking. Gotta get that extra room in that new house for the Right. Yes, this is my hook room. So... So she continued prostituting from their home in a room fitted with peepholes so that Fred could stand outside and watch them. And there was also a red light outside of the door that they would turn on when she was doing her business. So it would tell the kids not to come in that room. Jesus, what fresh hell is this? They knew about it too? Yeah, like I don't, I picture like Taken when Liam Neeson goes to the strip club where they're auctioning off the girls and there's like booths that are lit up that you're not supposed to enter. Like, that's what I picture. Oh my God. This like, is what so kind of fucked. red light district bullshit is this? God damn it. <sighs> but oh, yes, those kids, I hope they're in a lifetime of therapy. Jesus. Gotta hope Christ. so. But over the following years, Rosemary gave birth to seven more children. Three no! of which were fathered by Fred. Yarp. Yarp. Okay. Some people should not have children. Amen. So three of those were fathered by Fred. And then another may have been conceived by Rosemary and her own father. Ah, no. Still? What? Yeah, she was still engaging in incest with her father, even after she gave birth to her fourth child. No. The other three who were mixed race were also fathered by her clients. Oh, my God. Yes, so she had quite the diverse family, and I like I feel so bad for those kids being born into this family. Do any of them make it out alive? We'll find out. <laughs> so, in October of 1972, just, you know, same year that they got married here, they hired a young woman named Caroline Owens to work for them as a nanny for their children. No, run away, run I away! I know, run! Run! So they kept making sexual advances towards her, which she declined all every single time they did it. And then 
One night in December, after they both unsuccessfully tried to seduce her, she tried to leave, only to be held captive overnight. Fred threatened to let some of his friends, quote-unquote, have her, bastard, and that he would then kill her. So she complied and slept with them. A.K.A. she was raped, because that's that's still rape. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Oh, oh, man. The next day they released her, and she pressed charges for it. She went to the cops. Oh, fuck yeah. But... Though she pressed the charges, Fred was able to convince the court that the acts she forced in, she was forced into had been consensual, so he and Rosemary were instead only fined $50 for indecent assault. No! Failure of the Justin, justice system. Justin system, really? God damn it, Justin. No. Damn it, Justin. <laughs> Fuck you, Justin. Oh. Whoever you are. Right. Oh yes, my the- god, this is sickening. Oh, so over the next six years, they killed at Wow, I said that in the most country way ever. They killed <laughs> at least eight young women who made their way to their home as either lodgers or employees. Oh the first was Linda Guff, a seamstress that the West knew personally. Next was Carol Ann Cooper, who disappeared while walking home from a movie theater. In December, Lucy Catherine Partington disappeared from a bus stop while on her way home after Christmas. She was murdered by Fred and Rosemary, who abducted her, held her captive for a week over New Year, raped and tortured her, and then killed her. Oh, my God. (sighs) I hate this topic. On January 3rd, Fred was treated for a laceration, which is believed to have been inflicted when he dismembered Partington. Oh, poor baby cut his finger. Oh, my God. Also, thank you for saying the victims' names. I get so fucking pissed off when people don't say the victims' names. Like, everybody knows every serial killer ever, and then, like... I am a firm believer that the victim's name should always be spoken. Mm-hmm. There's there's this quote. I can't remember who said it. I'll have to look it up. But it says that a person has two deaths when they die physically and then again when their name is said for the last time. And I think that anyone who died in a violent fashion should never have a second death. Like, they should always be brought up. Like, especially, you know... This past week was the anniversary of the Pulse shooting in Orlando. And I think it's extremely important that everyone was sharing the names of the victims. And I've noticed a lot now, it's become kind of a trope in TV too, but they do this in news. They like won't name the shooters or the killers as much as they will draw attention to the people who were killed. So yeah, so we're saying all of their names because they deserve it. Yes, because there's a lot of times with the, like, the movie theater shooting, like, he did it to be famous. Like, a lot of times these people, like, they want the fame associated because they know that they're going to live in infamy as this, like, mass shooting or serial killer. Yeah, fuck those guys. Yeah, fuck them. No, I, oh. Like, the the people who are murdered deserve to be remembered. Yeah, especially with, like, um, the, uh. Oh, God damn it. God damn it. Ah, uh, the movie just came out on Netflix. Oh, the one about the New York Five. No, no, no. no. Uh, oh, crap. Super, the handsome guy that killed people. Oh, Ted Bundy. Yes. So, like, the Ted Bundy. Like, nobody remembers who his victims are, but everybody yes. knows Ted Bundy as being, like, handsome and charismatic. I'm like, people need to... You know, talk about the victims more. This poor, poor woman. Although most yes. of my topics today, nobody knows all the victims because there's yeah. too many. Yeah. Uh, 
I picked two people that were just like, nobody knows who all they are, but yeah. Okay, yeah. rant over. Sorry. <laughs> but whenever we can, we are going to use yeah. victims' names because they deserve to be acknowledged and all of that. So it's it's like, it's a really important thing for me. Yeah, well, this is even more terrifying because think about how many women want to be nannies and just show up being like, I'm going to take care of your kids. And they yes. don't realize they're walking into a trap like that. That's terrifying. Yes, I mean, there are so many stories in the last, I mean, even 10 or 20 years that are horrifying of people that went to be nannies and being like held hostage under people's beds and stuff like that. So yeah, so it's, it's really terrifying. So this is a, like, this is a thing that even people like me who like to pretend that they're badass and tough and wouldn't get in certain situations. This is something I would end up in. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So anyway, but, and that's what pisses me off about that whole Ted Bundy situation on Netflix, but whatever they didn't <laughs> ask me, they're making millions. Although they didn't glorify him like most movies do. So I do give them props for that. That extremely vile, wicked, and whatever movie, that didn't glorify him very much. But the Bundy tape one did. And I, oh, yeah. yeah mm, not about it. So, yeah, he had a boo-boo and was repaired after dismembering Partington. From 1974 to 1979, he killed five more women. Teresa Siegenthaler, Shirley Hubbard, Juanita Marion Mott, Shirley Ann Robinson, and Allison Chambers, and they all met the same fate. Aww. So he uh, he was real big on the torturing, raping, killing, and dismembering. It's unknown if he killed more over those years following that, but if he did, which they don't think is probable, the the bodies weren't buried on the property. And so like they don't think it's probable because... That was his, like, modus operandi, was to keep the bodies on the property. Okay. And uh, and then there were a lot of girls that haven't been named on here that were known to have been abductive, uh, abducted, raped, and they were released. Oh, wow. Yeah. So while he was committing these murders, he was also sexually abusing his daughter, Anne-Marie West, whom he had with Raina Costello, one of the others. Which, again, that's the whole perpetuating abuse cycles. Gross, gross, gross. But anyway, so she eventually became pregnant. But the uh, pregnancy had to be terminated because it was ectopic, which means it occurred in her fallopian tube. So she, like, dodged a bullet with that. And so she left home. But when she left, he started abusing Heather, his daughter, who was conceived with Ro- by Rosemary and her own father. Oh, no. And then he started abusing Mae West, who was one of his daughters. Oh. Yeah, so I mentioned that he, like, hid these bodies on the property. He did that by disposing of them under the garage of the house and in the garden. So, like, I guess he only put that one daughter under the kitchen floor, and then the rest were elsewhere, but still on property. And then to cover up frequently burying people, he pretended to be doing regular home improvements. So, like, if neighbors looked over, he'd be like, oh, just putting out this tarp, and look at these nail Uh guns, and gotta buy more shovels, and, you know, that kind of thing, so. God damn it. Can't trust anybody. No wonder I have anxiety. Right? I, like, legitimately, I don't know if it's because I listen to so much true crime stuff, or if it's just, like, anxiety in general, but I have such agoraphobia now. It's, I don't trust anyone. Yeah, no, I don't either. 
no. Like, I, if a guy, like, if anyone gets too close to me, like, at the gas station, I flinch. But, yeah, yeah. so. Yeah. I, I used to be, I got mugged when I was in college. But, oh, uh, yeah. for a while, anytime anybody came close to me, I'd be like, I'll taser you till your fucking heart stops. And then they'd run away. <laughs> like, yep. I do that still now. But, like, I carry, like, Same. I go walking every day, but I carry a knife with me. Like, I'm so scared. People are horrible. Okay, no, I'm going to tell y'all how scary I am. So I have <laughs> regularly on me in public, I have a pocket knife and a taser. I used to also have pepper spray, but I gave it to a friend when she got a divorce from a very terrible person. And then um, I also have my concealed carry permit. So I may or may not be carrying a gun, but I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> so like part of me feels like a boss ass bitch. And the other part of me is like, what do I do with my hands? Like I freak out. Which one do I go for? I don't know. Yes. yes. Yeah. So, but I, I have also had two instances of being stopped. So I had to carry those things. And then we like had a very awkward incident with a super aggressive guy at Hooters a couple weeks ago that like really shook me up. So I've been extra jumpy lately. So yeah, I don't trust people. And then after this really gross guy that my husband was ready to fight in Hooters, which is like the most Arkansas sentence that would have been in the paper that day. Yeah. yeah, I've been I've been extra jumpy. But anywho. Uh, yeah, do serial killers, we said. It'd be fun, we said. Yes. We'll never sleep again, we said. <laughs> <sighs> I know, I'm like, it sounds like a good idea until you start researching. You're like, God damn it, this is depressing. Oh, God damn it, this is scary. God damn it, humanity is awful. Ah! It's fine. I already had nightmares all night. I'm just going to continue <laughs> that trend. But yeah, so... My question, which is quickly answered, is how does he afford all these supplies for renovations? Okay, that's a good question, yes. Because, like, I mean, that stuff's expensive. We recently bought paint for our front door, and then I had a panic attack for a week for how much we spent on one can of paint. So how does he do it? In order to supply, (laughs) right, big mood. So buy a house, they said. It'd be fun, they said. (sighs) Jesus Christ. Those guys were bastards. Now I get why renting is more fun because you don't have to pay for all that. Real, real talk. Oh, my God. Don't even get me started. (laughs) But to afford these supplies, he started to steal and fence the loot. Like, he would continue his petty thefts and steal things, which I found out is actually how, like, a lot of, like, meth addicts get money now. They'll steal supplies from home improvement stores and then sell them under the table. I saw that on Intervention the other day. Oh. I was, I was like, grossly fascinated. Not huh. enough to ever try it, but I was like, okay, but anyway. Side note, did you see the man that kept a rabid squirrel in a cage and he fed it meth to be angry? And then yes! The police let it go. <laughs> it's like a rabid meth addict squirrel out there. That poor squirrel. It's going to go through DTs and like, oh, that's sad. But when I saw it, someone in the comments, God bless the comments, said hashtag not Florida. Or Arkansas, goddamn. Right. So yeah, sorry we keep derailing Ooh. people, but we have to we have to humor our way through this because it's horrifying. It's so deep and hard. Oh, it's so heavy. I need some joy in my life, okay? Yes. So anywho, let's go back to being sad. No. So he continued abusing his child, and then in 1986, Heather told a teacher what was going on. That uh, she was being abused and all the shit was going on. And the couple 
managed to be like, she's just got a big imagination. It's fine. And then they strangled her to death to silence her. Oh, my. Wait, the daughter or the teacher? The daughter. Oh, my God. Killed their own kid. Again. Wait, and that wouldn't, like, bring up suspicions? Where did she go after she just? That is a very good question. But finally, in 1992, they were exposed for what happened. And he, my notes got covered up here when I printed them. So I don't know what that says behind it. But when, in 1992, Fred sent a videotape of himself to a friend talking about what happened. And the friend was like, okay, I'm sending this to the police. So that's how they found out. Good on him. So... After that, another girl that Fred had raped previously came forward and was like, I remember where this was. I didn't say anything, but this is, I'll take you to the house. And then they went and they uh, searched the house for evidence of child abuse. And Fred was arrested and Rosemary became super depressed and like was put in a psych facility for a while and all that. But sadly, like while they were building their case against him, one of the victims backed out, so the rape case fell apart. Oh, no. Yeah, so based on Fred's past and the disappearance of Heather and then the interviews that the police did with the West children that were left, I mean, there's like four of them at this point or something, the kids also said that they had been threatened by Fred, that if they acted like Heather did or told anyone anything about it, they would bury her under the pa- bury them under the patio like they did Heather. Oh, God. Yeah, so, like, these kids knew their sister was dead, and they would suffer the same fate. After that, the police officers were uh, able to obtain another search warrant to have the property dug up after they, like, were told explicitly Heather's buried under the patio, all that. Once Fred was in custody, he confessed that he killed Heather, and then as they started digging up stuff, human bones started coming up on the property. Oh. Which is just, ugh, that is not a good day at work Mm-mm. Nope. for anyone involved. Nope, nope, nope. So then after that, Fred started committing, uh, confessed to committing the murders, but he said he did it alone to protect Rosemary. Hmm. But he never, he didn't want to admit that he raped any of the victims, saying that, They wanted to have sex with him. He, like, admitted that sexual contact had occurred, but that it was consensual, not rape. He's probably, in his head, has convinced himself, or he probably thought, like, who wouldn't want to have sex with me? Yep. People are garbage. Yes. After that, Anne McFall, the second woman he had a baby with, and then Charmaine West, his first kid, their bodies turned up as well. And then Rosemary, trying to cut off, uh, trying to protect herself, cut off. Contact with her husband. And then in 1994, he was charged with a dozen counts of murder. On New Year's Day, he hanged himself in the cell at Winston Green Prison with a knotted bedsheet. Oh. Yes. So he he didn't die by, like, death of state origin. He killed himself. And then his body was cremated. Cr- cremated. I just said that really weird. And his funeral was unattended except for five of his children. And then Rosemary was put on trial, after all, for first for the rapes, but then for the murders as well. So she never confessed to any murders, and the evidence against her was largely circumstantial. An important witness was Janet Leach, who 
someone that Fred knew revealed that Fred had told her that Rosemary had been involved in the murders and even killed Charmaine West and Shirley Robinson on her own. On November 22nd, 1995, Rosemary was found guilty of 10 murders and sentenced to life in prison. She will never be released, and though she maintains her innocence, in 2001, she announced that she will not try to appeal her conviction. And then in 1996, the home that they shared on Cromwell Street was completely demolished and turned into a pathway. Oh, wow. Yes. So just a rundown of the victims a little bit. It's the modus operandi. So the victims were all Caucasian females in their mid-20s to early 30s. Mid-teens to early 20s. Get it together, Ashley. And sometimes they were related to him, obviously. They just kind of, like, went balls to the wall and just killed fucking everyone. So they usually, besides their kids themselves, they usually lured their victims to their house as nannies or, you know, whatever, which I've mentioned earlier. And it was just gross. They, like, they put these people through all kinds of really awful, awful things. But yes, so that is Rosemary and Fred. And then I mentioned earlier at the beginning that these were these were inspiration for Criminal Minds episodes. Mm-hmm. So in season one, Writing the Lightning, and season five, A Thousand Words, and season 13, Believer, and then season 14, 300. They were in all of those episodes. Oh, wow. Yes. Huh. Yeah. God. They are horrible human beings. They are horrible. Horrible fucking human beings. Uh, so it's so sad on so many levels. The abuse, yes. the incest, the murder, the torture, the rape. Oh, my God. Yeah, and it was like generations of abuse. I really hope their kids turned out okay. I hope they are happy and have access to therapy. Yes. And can pretend like they didn't exist. The parents. That, yes. I would I, I would change my name, move to a different country. I've read that a lot of like children of serial killers do that. They change their name and move out of country so that nobody can find them. I know like That's... Ted Bundy's kid. I was about to bring that up. I, yeah, I did see that that she changed um Ted Bundy's daughter changed her name. Which yeah, good call. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be horrible to you know, not only know that your parents killed that many people, but to survive what they did to you. Oh, yeah, it's a lot. So, so rough. All right. Well, I guess my spooky is a bit lighter. <laughs> okay, good. So, friends, for spooky, we're going to make our way to downtown Los Angeles, where mm-hmm. we're going to find one of the most infamous buildings in horror history. I think I know what it is, but I, I'm, I'm excited. Go on. You want to guess? You want to guess? Is it the Cecil Hotel? It is! <laughs> I love the Cecil Hotel. Oh, man, it's... Whew. I don't know much about it. I just know of it. It's a wild it. ride. <laughs> yes! All right, so since opening its doors in 1927, the Cecil Hotel has been plagued with unfortunate and mysterious circumstances. At least 16 different murders, suicides, and unexplained paranormal events have taken place in the hotel. And it has served for a uh, temporary home for, you guessed it, America's most notorious serial killers. You like my tie in there? I do. I love it. (laughs) Okay. The Cecil Hotel was built in 1924 by Hotelier. uh, I know how to say it. Hotelier. 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 
<laughs> Fuck if I know. <laughs> All right. His name is William Banks Hanner. That guy. It was, yeah, that guy. It was supposed to be a destination hotel for international businessmen and the social elite. He spent $1 million on a 70-room Beaux-Arts hotel, complete with a marble lobby, stained glass windows, palm trees, and an opulent staircase. That would be a roughly $13 million today. That's, that's the money. That's, that's the money. It is. So the art historian in me has to define Beaux Arts for you. So yes, please. Art historical detour. <laughs> it is an academic architectural style that was taught at the Ecole des Beaux Arts in Paris. It's particularly from the 1830s to the end of the 19th century, and it combined French neoclassicism with Gothic and Renaissance el- Renaissance Renaissance elements. <laughs> <laughs> Renaissance. I like that. Okay. Yes. <laughs> it used modern materials such as iron and glass, but then it incorporated things like columns and pediments, like the little triangles on the top, and then like mm-hmm. uh, statuaries and stuff like that. Oh. So it was kind of like, you know, the modern melding with the classics. It had a strong influence on architecture in the United States because many of the prominent American architects had studied at the Beaux Arts. And some of the buildings that have the most prominent architecture of this type is the Metropolitan Museum of Art and then the Art Institute of Chicago. So two big buildings. Yeah. Uh, Chicago was actually really heavily influenced by the Beaux-Arts movement and especially before the Chicago World Fair in 1893. It was also known as the Columbian Exhibition because it celebrated the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus. Also, uh, fuck that guy. Yarp. (laughs) It was also dubbed the White City. Chicago's fair was a convincing show of power for the rising tide of Beaux-Arts' influence in the United States. It featured monumental and imposing Roman-style classical buildings in white plaster set in vast and verdant landscapes of parks, lagoons, and grand avenues. And you know what else happened in the White City? Murder. Oh. <laughs> Boom! Another serial killer. Okay. They're everywhere. <sighs> Detour over. <laughs> the hotelier Hanner soon came to regret his investment in the hotel because just two years later, the Great Depression happened. So Yikes. Bad time. Yeah. Bad. bad time to spend $13 million. <laughs> Eventually, the surrounding area of the Cecil Hotel became dubbed Skid Row. And as... Most people know that is a kind of mecca for homeless people in poverty in Los Angeles. The once beautiful hotel soon gained a reputation as a meeting place for junkies, runaways, and criminals. Today, the Cecil Hotel has a reputation for death and violence. In its first decade of business, the Cecil Hotel was home to at least six suicides. In 1931, the hotel saw its first suicide. His name was W.K. Norton, and his body was discovered beside poison capsules. Yikes. He wasn't the only resident to ingest poisons, and others shot themselves, slit their own throats, or jumped out their bedroom windows. In 1937, 25-year-old Grace E. Magro became the fourth person to die in the hotel when she fell from the ninth story. Her body was tangled in telephone wires, and police were unable to determine whether it was suicide, an accident, or something more insidious. Yikes. The next few decades saw even more violent deaths, like this one. In 
September 1944, 19-year-old Dorothy Jean Purcell awoke in the middle of the night with stomach pains while staying at the hotel. She went to the bathroom, so not to disturb the sleeping Ben Levine, who was also staying there. And to her complete shock, she gave birth to a baby boy. She had no idea she was pregnant. Yeah, thinking the newborn was dead, she threw the baby out the window onto a roof of the building next door. What the fuck? At the trial, she was found not guilty of murder by reason of insanity, and she was admitted to a hospital for psychiatric treatment. That is horrifying. Look, having a baby when I didn't even know I was pregnant is one of my biggest phobias. Right? Oh, my God. Uh, Uh, Yeah. I still don't think I would throw it out the window. No, that wouldn't be my first thought. No. No. No, 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 no. Okay. In 1962, 65-year-old George Gianni was walking by the Cecil with his hands in his pockets when he was struck to death by a falling woman. What the hell? Pauline Otten, 27, jumped from her ninth floor window after an argument with her estranged husband. Her fall killed both her and Gianni instantly. That's shit-tastic. Right? Poor guy. Like, you're just walking, and then boom, dead. Yeah, that's how I'm gonna die. It's like the piano trope in, like, cartoons for the piano yes. on you, but then it's like a person. Yeah, he did an accordion like Wile E. Coyote. Mm-mm. Nope. We were lied to. <laughs> you don't survive things like that. Yes. So police initially thought that the two had committed suicide together, but they reconsidered when they found out that Gianni still was wearing his shoes. If he had jumped, the shoes would have fallen off mid-flight. Oh. I hadn't thought of that, so. That's a weird detail I never thought of. I know, right? We're learning things here in this podcast. Okay. And... The Cecil Hotel has served as a temporary home for some of the grisliest murders in American history. So here are our serial killers. Yay! Richard Ramirez, better known as the Night Stalker, was a terror of the coastal California area from April 1984, which was the year I was born. No big deal. To August 1985. In less than a year and a half, he murdered at least 14 people and raped and tortured at least two dozen more, which this number was completely, like, different in every source it looked at. Some people said it was up to, like, 30 people he killed. Some people said 13. So I don't think they really know how many people he killed, but just a shit ton of people were terrorized by this piece of shit. So his victims range from nine years old to 83 and a killing spree that spread across from orange County to San Francisco. Yikes. Jesus. Ramirez lived in a room on the top floor of the hotel during much of his horrific killing spree. After killing someone, he reportedly threw his bloody clothes in the dumpster and then just walked into the hotel lobby completely naked, naked or in his underwear. And this is a quote, none of which, raised an eyebrow because the Cecil since the 1980s was in total unmitigated chaos. Let's be real. That wouldn't shock most people who work in hotels. True. It's probably like a public library. You've seen a lot of shit. Yeah. But Jesus, just think about that. He was able to get away with it just because he would just like dump his clothes, walk in. Nobody would even look at him twice. Yeah. That is just crazy. Uh, the Night Stalker has some pretty high name recognition, and his crimes were particularly hideous. But the story of Jack Unterweger—never heard that name. Eh, eh, 
Uh, again, I don't give a shit if I mispronounce serial killer's name because fuck those yeah. guys. Yeah, fuck All those right. guys. He was an Australian serial killer that committed his first murder in his home country in 1974. He was convicted and sentenced to his crime. And about 10 years later, he released a memoir entitled Purgatory or Trip to Jail, a report of a guilty man. Okay. It became a best sailor, bestseller, <laughs> and helped convince officials that he had reformed. Spoiler alert, he did not. Damn dirty lie. <laughs> it wasn't just the cops that he fooled. His story was soon told as an example of prism system success. And eventually he began working as a journalist and a public broadcasting host on a true crime beat. His specialty, the heinous murders of sex workers, just like the crime that had led to his conviction. In 1991, he checked into the Cecil hotel to cover a story about street crime in Los Angeles. While he was in the city, three sex workers were attacked and killed in a way that mirrored his crime in Australia, which was strangled by their own bras, by the Ugh, way. I've Pretty. almost done that to myself, <laughs> yes. They're really hard to get out of, especially like sports bras. Yes, sweaty sports bras, yes. So police were able to definitely tie the journalists to the murders. The most disturbing of all was the fact that Police on both sides of the Atlantic. So the United States and Australia started being like, oh shit, he's covering murders that are exactly like his MO. So just think, like, you let him go and you're like, oh, he's reformed. You write this book. It's nice. And then you're like, oh my God, it's, he did that here. So it's probably like that meme of the Spider-Man's looking at each other. Like, yeah. yeah, he was like, hey, dill holes, this is what I did. And I'm going to do it again. Yeah. Like the police were like, we know he's doing it. So that's like firefighters who start fires just to save uh, people from them. God, people are the worst. Yes. But he got arrested. And uh, shortly after his conviction, he killed himself, tying ligatures with the same distinctive knot that he used on all his victims. Huh. Many suspect that he actually chose the Cecil Hotel specifically because of Ramirez. I hate people. Uh, another noted guest was Elizabeth Short, who came to be known as the Black Dahlia huh. after her 1947 murder in Los Angeles. She reportedly either stayed at the hotel, um, but regardless, she was spot having a drink at the hotel days before her murder that happened just miles away. And her horrific mutilation case is still unsolved. In October 23rd in 1954, Helen Gurney, a middle-aged woman from San Diego, committed suicide by jumping from the window of her room on the seventh floor. Instead of plummeting, plummeting to the street below, her body landed on the marquee of the Cecil, which is still there, by the way. Okay. And a witness to the frightening incident, a 26-year-old Melvin Hinckley, was so disturbed by the woman's death that he had to be taken to a nearby hospital as well. Big mood. Yeah. Gurney, who had been staying at the hotel for a week prior to killing herself, had checked into the Cecil under a different name. Following her suicide, the press publicized the unit Gurney was staying in at the time of her death, making room 704 a popular request of a particularly ghoulish guests. That's also a quote. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah uh, that's weird. So you might not be surprised to learn that in 2011, the proprietors of the Cecil Hotel decided that they needed to rebrand. <laughs> so they decided to take on a new name, which is now called Stay on Main. 
Okay. But they weren't able to leave behind the whore. One of the most mysterious deaths ever to take place at the Cecil Hotel happened in 2013. Oh. 21-year-old Canadian tourist, Elisa Lamp, wasn't murdered, but her death is one of the most haunting in the building's history. In February of 2013, an employee discovered her body floating naked in the water tank of the hotel's on the hotel's roof three weeks after she had gone missing. Her naked corpse was found after the hotel guests complained about bad water pressure and a funny taste. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. I am fascinated by that case, and I didn't realize it was at this hotel. Yes, it it's wild. It wild. is so wild. And, like, it's one of those that has, like, video evidence and all that, but it's still not solved, and it's so fucking weird and oh, creepy now. Yeah, it's creepy, and, yeah. So... The case was ruled an accidental drowning, but there's some very strange elements to the case. For one thing, to get to the roof, she would have needed a staff key, which wasn't found anywhere remotely close to her body. So, for one, how did she get up there? Her cell phone was also mysteriously missing, so it wasn't near her body and it wasn't in her room either. So that's another aspect people are like, that makes absolutely no sense. The most weird part of this is that the night she disappeared a security camera in the elevator captured four minutes of an extremely disturbing footage she ducks into the elevator crouches low as if she's hiding she presses herself against the wall and occasionally peeks out into the hallway as if looking at somebody that's not there by the way it's so creepy she pushes many of the buttons but the elevator doesn't move and the door remains open at one point she steps out into the hallway and begins just articulating as if she's speaking to somebody but nobody's there so a lot of people are like was there somebody just off side of the camera was she experiencing a mental health crisis nobody really knows after the video surfaced publicly many people began to believe that the rumors of the hotel being haunted had to do something with it some speculate that she was either possessed or a target of a particularly malevolent haunting Although some people say that it's most likely her bipolar disorder and the medication she was on that caused the strange behavior, but that doesn't really explain a lot of things because, listen, guys, bipolar doesn't make you do that. No, it does not. It's not that. And then also, how did she get the lid of the tank open by herself? How did she close it behind herself? And then she didn't have a key. And then I also read that they said that she wasn't wearing clothes, but her clothes were nearby. Like, there's a whole lot of weird stuff that happened that isn't explained. I think it's a cop-out to just say mental illness, because that makes no sense. Yes. Some people believe there's a paranormal theory about this. So, one theory, which is wild okay is that she was in the elevator for a long time and the elevator door just won't close some believe it's because she's actually had already died and the reason that the door won't close is because she can't actually push the buttons because she was already dead thanks i hate it yeah that was no don't like that not not at all nope and then there's this other theory which is just bad shit guys is that she was playing the elevator game have you heard about that a little it freaks me out and i try not to think about it (laughs) well we're gonna read the rules to this game hold on let me get the website up (laughs) it's apparently an urban legend that's been translated from like korean or something players one requirements one building at least 10 stories high with an elevator all these 
conditions must be met in order to proceed. All right, so number one, enter your chosen building and get into the elevator on the first floor alone. Do not proceed if anybody is in there with you. Step two is to press the button for the fourth floor. Step three, when the elevator reaches the fourth floor, do not get out. Instead, remain in the elevator and press the button for the second floor. Once you reach the second floor, remain in the elevator and press the button for the sixth floor. Next, when you reach the sixth floor, remain in the elevator and press the button for the second floor. I would already be lost. Like, there's too many steps. I would need to write that down. (laughs) Next, when you reach the second floor, remain in the elevator and press the button for the tenth floor. Once you reach the tenth floor, remain in the elevator and press the button for the fifth floor. When you reach the fifth floor, a young woman may enter the elevator. Do not look at her. Do not speak to her. She is not what she seems. Nope. No. No. (laughs) And then you're supposed to press the button for the first floor. If the elevator begins ascending to the 10th floor instead of descending to the first floor, you may proceed. If the elevator descends to the first floor, exit as the doors open. Do not look back. Do not speak. Like, what the fuck does that mean? Option 11, drop kick that bitch and run. (laughs) The next step, if you reach the 10th floor, you may either choose to get off the elevator or stay in it. If you choose to get off, and if the woman enter the elevator on the 5th floor, she will ask you, where are you going? Do not answer her, in all caps. Do not look at her, in all caps. Your business. And then the last step, you will know whether you've arrived to the other world by one indication and one indication only. The only person present in it is you. What What the fuck? And then you can go for a leisurely swim on the roof. The return trip. It says if you choose to stay on the elevator at the 10th floor, one, press the button for the first floor. If it doesn't work, keep pressing it until it does. Uh. Two, when the elevator reaches the first floor, exit as soon as the door is open. Do not look back. Do not speak. If you choose to exit the elevator at the 10th floor, you must use the same elevator to return as the one in which you arrived. When you enter the elevator, press the button in the same order you did in steps two through eight of venturing out. You should finish at the fifth floor. When you reach the fifth floor, press the button of the first floor. The elevator again will try to ascend to the tenth floor. Press any other floor button to cancel the ascension. You must press the button you use to cancel the ascension before you reach the tenth floor. After you reach the first floor, check your surroundings carefully. If anything seems off, even the smallest detail, do not exit the elevator. If you detect something is wrong, repeat step two until your surroundings look like they should. Once you're confident that you've returned to your own world, you may safely exit the elevator. My God, my ass will be stuck in Gondor. (laughs) Uh, Additional notes. You should reach the other world. The floor into which you emerge will look almost identical to the one of your own world, save for two things. All the lights will be off, and the only thing you'll be able to see from the windows is a red cross in the distance. What the fuck does that even mean? No thanks. Some say that electronical devices won't work. Getting back to your own world may be more difficult than it seems. You may become disoriented. You might forget which elevator you arrived. If at any point during the ritual you faint, pass out, or otherwise lose consciousness, you will likely wake up in your own home. What? How does that even happen? And then it says, concerning the woman on the fifth floor, do not speak to her. Do not look at her. If you do, she may decide to keep you for her own. First rule of Fight Club. (laughs) 
So essentially this stupid ass game is like, they're trying to say because she was hitting all the buttons that she played this game and then she was in the other world and guess fifth floor lady like murked her out or something. Okay. I don't know. It makes no sense to me. Maybe because I'm old. I'm just like, what the fuck are you talking about, kids? Like, you don't make any sense. Tide pods. Get off my lawn. (laughs) Anyway, back to reality here. Okay. Poor aficionados. That's a hard combination to say. Aficionados. Okay. They began drawing parallels between the Black Dahlia murder and Lamb's murder, pointing out that both the women were in their 20s, traveling alone in L.A., to San Diego, and they were both last seen at the Cecil Hotel. And they were both missing for several days before the bodies were found. Hmm. With such a dark history, it's a little of a surprise that the Cecil Hotel possesses a reputation of being haunted. Many guests that check into the hotel report odd sightings and dark figures in their rooms. A handful of these paranormal experiences involve apparitions tugging at the guest bed sheets, which is the one thing that I know I do not like. I, I don't give a shit about ghosts, but do not take my blankets off me. Do not go no. under my blankets and do not pull my ankle like in paranormal activity where they drag her across the rim. Fuck yep. that. No. Yep, don't, don't touch me. Do not like. Anyway, so the most famous recording of the paranormal activity was a photo taken by Costin Alderit, a local resident in January 2014. He took a picture of what looks to be a ghost hanging out the window of the fourth floor of the hotel. The photo went viral, and many linked the paranormal phenomenon to the many suicides that have occurred there. And according to him, after he took the image, he's had difficulty sleeping and has suffered nightmares ever since. Yikes. The last body that was found was in 2015. It was a man who reportedly committed suicide. And ghost stories and rumors of the hotel's haunting still squirrel. 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 <laughs> and then the hotel was the inspiration for a season of American Horror Story. The hotel still bears the original hotel Cecil Marquis, but its name is Stay on Main still. And it's undergoing a $100 million renovation that will turn it into a combination of a boutique hotel and a micro apartment. I would not want to live there. Yeah, so it's currently still closed. It's still going renovations, but uh, I found some funny reviews. So, hotel reviews. Yes. From Sheen. She said, I didn't get murdered here, so that's a good thing. This hotel has quite a past. The name change was good, but it's still the same place. From Tom. Should be known as the Hooker Hotel for the thousands of tricks that have been turned there. Some call it a drug hotel or the junkie hotel for the thousands of drug addicts that stay there and thousands of drug deals that go down there. But they changed the name and raised the rates, so enjoy your stay, question mark? <laughs> Found that funny. Wow. From Katie, this is a historic murder hotel. Bring your own water. Do some Googling. She's not wrong. <laughs> not wrong. From Annalisa, whatever you do, don't play the elevator game here and don't drink the water. Real talk. And finally, from somebody called Here to Villain, winner right there. Okay. The service was to die for, and the broken elevator was a fun time killer. Wow. (laughs) God bless the internet. I know. (sighs) It seems like they're trying, but I don't think they can ever escape the serial killer and suicide. 
Yeah, no, that's never going to happen. No, but I mean, most of the reviews for people like, why aren't you open? I want to stay there. I don't care if somebody died there. Yeah, people literally drink like person water. I don't think I don't think they're ever going to get away from that. I would never recover from that. I no, no. I wouldn't either. I no. Nope. Nope. God, that that. poor woman though. I don't know what happened to her, but how horrifying. Yes. And how horrifying for her family to know that she was in a water tank and people drink. Oh no. (sighs) Don't like it. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, comments, people being like justice for her, and um, yeah, it was it was rough. But yeah, Richard Ramirez had a whole lot going on there. That would be like a whole nother segment. But Yes, and when we do that, I'll tell y'all all about the um, Tumblr community I accidentally stumbled upon once that is like devoted to Richard, Richard Ramirez like fangirling. Oh no! It's real fucked up. And, and he, so he was also uh, supposedly had two brain injuries as a child. So that's kind of oh. interesting with like yours, the yeah. brain injury. Huh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we will definitely like touch on that more and we'll have to like look into that. Yeah. Uh, well. All right. So what do you got for me? Something. I'm going to go ahead and launch. In- <laughs> oh no. Happy does not live here. As Ramsey Bolton says, if you think that this has a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. Solid. Right. Solid Game of Thrones. Uh, right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with my weird topic, okay. which again, um, the husband picked this out. So don't at me with your horror, or you can, and I'll just pass it on. This could definitely fall under morbid, but we're gonna we're gonna call it weird and go from there. And I'm sorry in advance. So. <laughs> Who knows about Albert Fish? Okay, real talk. My sister called me today and I was like, I'm doing research on serial killers. And she's like, did you want or listen to the last podcast on the left? They just did one on him. And I was like, I have it. And I was like, but Ashley says she's doing him today. So I'm going to hear all about it. But I don't remember anything about him. So I'm... I did not either. And I think that might have been why Terry picked this because he loves last podcast and I get really overwhelmed when I listen to them. So I don't listen to them very often. But yes, yeah, so I'm going to talk about Albert Fish and I'm sorry if it overlaps with what they've got going on, but tell yeah, them that we need to collaborate. Now there's a Patreon for them, but not us. So that's fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Come on, sister, support me. Right. So, and I found most of this info on SerialKillerShop.com, and it was pretty comprehensive, so we're going with mostly their info. So, Albert Fish owns the special distinction of being one of America's most gruesome serial killers. Ugh, no! It gets worse. The fact (laughs) that he not only killed, but also ate children. No! Cemented his place in American history as the human version of the boogeyman. Cannibalism. Cannibalism. Every, it all, yeah. Every episode. You know, when we started this podcast, I didn't think that the thing that would tie all the episodes together would be cannibalism, but. And aliens. Here we are. Yeah, you're (laughs) welcome. So, he claims to have killed more than 100 children, but in reality, he was only ever convicted of killing one. Huh. Her name was Grace Budd. Aww. And it was the murder of Grace Bud that sent Albert Fish to the electric chair. Yeah, good riddance. Yes, which I'll show you. I'll post this picture, too. But here's a picture of him so you can 
see him in all his glory. He's got a snazzy top hat. He does. I think it's a bowler. Oh, a bowler hat. Yes, a bowler hat. And he like just looks like a fishy serial killer. He's got a sweet stash, too. He does. He does. So, yeah. So, that's Albert Fish. So, he was born Hamilton Howard, quote-unquote, Albert Fish on May 19th, 1870. His father was, Randall, was 75 years old when he was born. And his mother, Ellen, was 43 years younger than her husband. Oh. So, older parents. Yeah. That's Uh, a large age difference. That is a very large age difference. Yeah, there's only eight years between me and Terry, and it still weirds me out sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) So, he was the youngest of four living children, and he took on the name Albert, who... Which was the name, I, I forgot how it words, which is the name of one of his deceased siblings after he grew tired of the other children calling him Ham and Eggs when he was a kid because his name was Hamilton. Aww. So he was like, that kid's dead. I'm just going to go by his name. By the time that he was five, his father had passed away and his mother was faced with a difficult decision to put her children in an orphanage until she could find a way to support them on her own. Oh, that's sad. So he, uh, Fish spent his sa- time in St. John's Orphanage, which helped shape him into the monster he became later in life. He frequently was subjected to physical abuse there, but instead of turning away from the pain, he realized he enjoyed it. Ooh. Yeah, he enjoyed the pain being inflicted upon him. And then when he was 10, his mom had secured a government job and was able to like get all of her kids back, take them out of the orphanage. But it was a little too late, and the abuse, like, really left a mark on him, even at the age of 10, both physically and mentally. So at the age of 12, Albert Fish formed a relationship with a local telegraph boy, and this boy introduced him to some practices such as urolagnia, which is drinking urine, and coprophagia, which is the act of eating feces. No, 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 no. Yep, yep, which uh, that's another connecting thread because I talked about coprolites in the uh, dinosaur episode, and now we here are with coprophagia. Oh, yeah, and the uh, blood count test made people drink urine, too. Yep, yep, there we go. So all these things are gross. So he would spend his weekends visiting public bathhouses where he would spy on other young boys as they undressed. Aww. Yes, and he also would frequently answer mail-order classified ads placed by women seeking marriage proposals with vulgar and obscene letters. So, like, they would put ads being like, hey, I'm old and want to get married. And by old, I say at this time they were, like, 27. <laughs> and and he would, like, send them terrible letters back that were like, I want to eat your snatch or something weird. <laughs> yes, that is my interpretation. Wait. I've always wondered this. So I know that they had like the advertisements like, I need a husband. Do they put their address in the paper? Like, how did they get their address to like directly contact them? I've always wondered that. It would not surprise me. I think if I remember correctly, and I probably don't, so no one quote me on this, but I think that you could send your correspondence to the newspaper and then they would like pass it on to the person who placed the ad. That makes more sense. Probably more serial killers if your address is blasted. Real talk. Looking at you people on Craigslist. (sighs) I know that we mentioned very briefly in episode four about the uh, Craigslist that the library worked at. That there were ads for uh, gay sex in Craigslist. And then people would come to our library (laughs) to partake in that. 
the best one was the one that was like, I met you in the men's library or in the men's bathroom at the library and you rocked my world and meet me at this time on this date in that bathroom. And uh, it was weird. <laughs> it was so weird. God, Craigslist. It's like, uh, like we said, this is why no one would be concerned with Richard Ramirez walking into a hotel in just his underwear because like in libraries, you see some shit. Oh, absolutely. Like, if you work with the public on that level, you're just not surprised by literally anything. Yes. Yes. Ugh. Anyway. So then he would also spend his youthful endeavors and pastimes doing things that were, like, just gross. Like, that they claim were, like, evidence of his mental illness. And But at that time, there wasn't really a, what is it called? a pathology for like classifying and identifying serial killers in the making. Mm-hmm. So like now, you know, they would say like to be a serial killer, they like would torture animals and find joy and pain and blah, blah, blah. But they didn't really have that criteria then. Mm-hmm. So by the time he was 20, Albert Fish was living in New York city and he was working as a prostitute, which ties it into my last story. Oh man. It was during this time in his life that he started raping young boys. That's no. Little, can we just not? As mothers tend to do during this time, Albert's mother arranged a marriage for him. He did get married, although he married Anna Marie or Anna Mary Hoffman, and she was nine years younger than Fish, and they had six children together. In an attempt to live a normal, respectable life, Fish found work as a house painter. His employment did not stop his gross behavior, though, and he continued to rape young boys. He once told the story of a male lover who took him into a wax museum. It was there that Fish became fascinated with penis bisection. No! (gasps) I do not like where this is going. Side note. So, I am 100% okay with body modifications. However you need to love your body and yourself. That's great. Fine. Do whatever. Dermals, all that. Penis bisection kind of freaks me out a little bit. And it's for those who don't know, it's where you like cut the tip of your penis. So it like bisects and people can't see me doing the motion like a mermaid tail, but it splits like the two tails on a Starbucks cup. Siren. Like, yes, not all the way, but enough to be concerning. Okay. So have you seen that YouTube video where they're like filming a mermaid siren porn and they were like, She's just, like, got her two fans up, and then she gets killed, and they're like, eh, we'll just use it for the Starbucks logo. <laughs> no, but now I need to find it. Yikes. Oh, sorry, trying to lighten the mood a little bit. Oh, yeah, because it, it gets worse. So, yeah, so he became obsessed with sexual mutilation, and this drove him to desperate attempts to fulfill his sick fantasies. In Wilmington, Delaware, in 1910, he committed his first mutilation, he had form- he had met and formed a sadomasochistic relationship with a young man named Thomas Kedden. Kedden was only 19 years old, and he was very impressionable. It was suggested that Fish took advantage of the young man and, like, forced him into this relationship. And then eventually he took him out to a farmhouse where he kept him and tortured him for two weeks. By the end of the two weeks, Kedden found himself tied up when Albert Fish cut off half of his penis. Ah! No! Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of this encounter, Fish is quoted as saying, I shall never forget his scream or the look he gave me. Like I said, my husband picked this topic. Don't blame me. (laughs) God damn it, Terry. 
<laughs> he, pl- he planned to kill the boy, cut him up, and take his body back to his hometown. But this was spoiled by hot weather. He was afraid that the meat would spoil. So, instead, he poured peroxide over the wound of the... Of the penis. And he slathered it in Vaseline and then put a rag over it. Then he gave Keaton or Kedden a $10 bill, kissed him goodbye, and he left the scene. What? 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 Marinating that for a second. Uh, just, yeah. Was so, he yeah. conscious or did he like pass out from pain at that point? I'm assuming he was conscious at this point. Since he had a like got the ten dollar bill and was kissed goodbye and all that, like remembers all that. So then no, actually no, just kidding. I assume he was awake, but then Albert Fish claims that he never knows what actually became of the boy after he took his leave of the scene. So, like, Albert was like, yeah, he was he was up and around, and I gave him ten bucks, kissed him goodbye, you know, and peaced out, but, but yeah, so. Ugh. So then, 1917, uh, Anna, why do I keep trying to say Marie? Anna Mary left Albert <laughs> and their children another case of a woman leaving her kids with the baby daddy, who's crazy. But yes. Public service announcement. If you leave your baby daddy because he's abusive and scary, take your kids with you. Yes, please. God. Anyway, sorry. I, I mean, not to shame, why. but Jesus Christ. Why do we have to say that? Yes. You're escaping. Take them with you. Also, this sentence, I had to include it because it's just, it's so dumb and ridiculous. It says in 1917, Anna Mary left Albert and their children for a slightly feeble-minded handyman by the name of John Straub. He had once rented a room with the Fish family, and then the two of them fled the home with all the furnishings while Fish was at work. So, not only did he leave, she leave her husband and her kids, she took all the furniture. When he came home, he found his wife gone, his house empty, and his children dependent solely on him. Not much longer after that, uh, after she left, she and her lover returned to the family home and asked if they could stay there. And... Albert said that she could stay, but um, John Straub had to leave. Not long after this, Fish discovered that Straub was actually hiding in the attic. And ah. Anna Mar- Mary, I keep trying to say Marie, what the hell? Anna Mary had been sneaking food up to him as well as sneaking up to spend time with him, which is very arrested development when Pop Pop is in the attic. <laughs> it is. I was That's all I can picture. Like, I. I don't know why it's like this irrational fear of like some creepy person living in your attic. Like the other day I was going into my closet and I have a really nice closet here in our new house. And I saw like uh, paint chips on the carpet. Like somebody had been in the attic and I was like, Oh my God. So so he got home and I was like, okay, were you in the attic or do we have somebody living up there? And he's like, Oh, I was in the attic. But he's like, why was that your first thought that we have some hobo living in the attic? Okay. You know what? Terry, when you listen to this, I hope you heard that (laughs) because that is one of my number one biggest fears about being in a house is that someone is living upstairs and I do not know it because I never go upstairs unless we're recording the podcast and I take my shit up there because our upstairs is half of a finished addict, addict, and addict, no, addict, and like I have seen YouTube videos of surveillance cameras in people's homes that have caught people living in like the cupboards and shit. Coming down, and it happened to my dad when he was in college. 
Oh no! Yes, he when he was in college, he lived in an apartment with roommates, and they kept coming in and finding food gone. And then one day, he saw a footprint on the counter, and he happened to see a guy one day coming out of an empty apartment down at the end of the like row of apartments they lived in. And he like stopped the dude and like gave him money and was like, "I better not catch you." Like he was like going through the ceilings of all the apartments and like robbing people of food. Whoa. Yeah. So it's like it's a very real fear I have. Terry laughs at me. So how is your dad so calm? Like my dad is like a one of the nicest people you will ever meet and like most selfless and also like handles his shit really well can't relate my dad didn't handle any of his shit very well <laughs> oh my god he does like i mean he i have seen him handle some like truly scary situations in like the calmest manner ever which i appreciate because now like i do that too like look y'all kina has seen me like when we go out like clubbing and there's a really creepy guy and everyone else is like oh my god what is he doing and i'm like bro you need to step up and like back off <laughs> and like i don't know but yeah so it's like one of my biggest fears. So, haha, Terry, I win. Ha. So. <laughs> yeah, I have it too. I constantly <sighs> like, what's up there? I don't know. It could be something. Yeah. Although I, I was also like, when we were house uh, hunting, I would see like dust particles in the picture. And I'm like, is that <laughs> dust or is that a ghost? Do I need a Swiffer or do I need some sage? I don't know what's happening. Like, Swiffer or a priest? Let me know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As I actually live in a haunted house, I wish I had done that. Yeah, so far we're good. I think we're good. Good, good, good. So yes, back to the horrifying story of Albert Fish. (sighs) So. You sound like procrastinating. (laughs) I know. We're we're just like. It's just going to get worse. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to get so much worse. I'm sorry. So once he found out that she was like sneaking up there, he was like, look, you can stay, but he's got to go. And she decided to leave with Straub. And then the kids never saw their mom in their house again. So, like, shitbag left her kids. Whatever. It, ugh. I hate that shit. Anyway. After this, Albert began to act strangely like he hadn't before. <laughs> I was about to say, what part of this has been normal? <laughs> right? So it said that he began to suffer auditory hallucinations. And he began to experiment with self-harm. This is the part that when Terry was first telling me about it, I was like, I can't talk about this on the podcast, but I'm going to. And I'm sorry. As part of his self-harm experimentation, he would push needles into his groin. Ah! Mm. Uh, Fun fact that I didn't put in here, but I have read is that when they did his autopsy, they found 30 needles in his penis. (gasps) They're just in there? Yep, just in there. Just stayed there? Oh, just, just no. Hanging yeah, oh, just hanging out. Just hanging out. Yeah. Oh. He also enjoyed hitting himself with a nail-studded wooden paddle. <laughs> and he... He would... He would... <laughs> he would frequently insert a lighter fluid-soaked wooden dowel into his anus and set it on fire. <laughs> For fun! And then he would encourage his children and their friends to hit him with a nail-studded paddle. Family fun. (laughs) Trademarked by Mattel. (laughs) Oh, God. 
So one of your stories had a hot poker in the vagina, and this has a lighter fluid-soaked wooden dowel in his anus set on fire. What is wrong with us? I don't know. Thanks for listening, guys. Welcome <laughs> to episode 10. Yes. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Next episode will be like nothing but unicorns or something. I don't know. Rainbows and motherfucking butterflies. Yes. <laughs> so then, because it wasn't already bad enough, during this time, he began to experiment with drum rolls. Cannibalism. I, oh, my God. <laughs> Why? Like sexual mutilation, cannibalism became an obsession of Albert Fish's. He would often prepare entire meals made of raw meat for his family in an attempt to quell his desire for human flesh. I bet he would have liked Rasputin's, like, uh, filleted penis. Yes. Yes. Loved it. Like sashimi or something. Uh, Yep. (laughs) So... During his dark period following the departure of his wife, he began committing his first murders. He was evaluated by a psychiatric hospital numerous times. Each time, he was declared sane and released back into society. Oh, no. It was also during this time that Fish began to amass his collection of torture devices, including a meat cleaver, a small handsaw, and a butcher knife. Okay, like... Think about it. This is like pre-eBay times. How does one just amass a collection? Like, you just have to physically go in there face-to-face and be like, give me your shit. Like, I guarantee it. Like, the local hardware store. Yeah, you'd have to give no fucks. I mean, at least now, people can, like, order stuff anonymously. But, like, the different level of serial killerness to, like, you'd have to make eye contact with these people. Be like, yeah, like, the, shove this up my ass later. The balls of this man. Oh, my God. It gets worse. So, (laughs) (laughs) around 1919, he began stabbing young men who were either mentally handicapped or African-American as he felt these people wouldn't be missed. No! Fuck you entirely. Oh, that angers me. He... me. Yeah. And then he would pay children to help him catch other children so he could torture and murder them. No! Wait, why? Why would a kid take money for that? I don't think they knew what he was doing with the kids. I think they thought it was like a game, like drive them this way and like you get $20 or something, whatever they gave out in 1919. But yeah, but here's the thing. None of these murders have actually been verified with actual proof. These are all just things that he made after he was eventually arrested. Huh. But... Even though there's no proof, he claims that he's killed hundreds of people. By 1924, he was suffering from full psychosis. He believed that God was commanding him to torture and murder children, although he had been evaluated by professionals numerous times. In July of the same year, he was he spotted a little girl named Beatrice Keel playing alone on her family's farm. Oh, her no. mom, I know, ugh. her mom noticed him lurking about and chased him off which saved the eight-year-old's life. And oh, yeah, later, mom. right, yes, yes. My mom chased off wolves when a mom once chased off wolves with a broom to protect me. And I feel like this mom is like right on track for being super mom like my mom. Hell yeah, my mom would have done that. But Oh yeah. 
mean, we're usually inside when we saw wolves and bears and stuff. Yay, Arkansas! Right? That one time, the bears were in the backyard trying to eat the chickens. That's a true Remember, story. We were on Main Street, and there was a fox. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we've cracked, people. We've cracked. <laughs> so, later that night, though, Albert Fish returned to the Keel Farm and slept in the barn. And then he was discovered and chased off by Hans Keel, who was Beatrice's father. And the next time, the next attempt that Fish made to get a child was, oh my God, I just thought of the worst pun in my head and it like threw me off. <laughs> <sighs> the next time that Albert Fish went fishing for a child. Oh, <laughs> no. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> you're welcome was when he targeted Cyril Quinn, a young boy that he had been molesting. Um, he offered the boy lunch in order to lure him into his home. While the boy was waiting for sandwiches, they wrestled on Fish's bed. The mattress overturned, which revealed Fish's quote-unquote implements of hell, the knife, the handsaw, and the cleaver, and the boy ran, ran away and survived. So he, like, got caught block by fate basically so then he decided he needed to like up his murder game and this oh, is where great grace bud comes in so in 1988 night words are hard in 1928 albert fish answered an ad seeking work for 18 year old edward bud the bud family struggled financially therefore edward was hoping to find employment to take some of the burdens off his father albert Fish answered the ad by showing up at the Bud family home, and he portrayed himself as an average, not not at all psychopathic, sweet old man, looking for help around his home. The Bud family never suspected that they were dealing with an actual murderer. He said that his name was Frank Howard, and that he was a Long Island farmer who was willing to pay $15 per week for Edward Bud to come help around the house. And the Bud family, like, jumped on it, so they bought his story, and... Meanwhile, he was planning on tying Edward up, mutilating him, and leaving him to bleed to death before consuming him. Ah! So he made arrangements with the Bud family to return a week later for Edward. When Fish returned to the Bud home as planned, he met Grace and then decided instead of taking Edward, he was going to take this little girl. Oh, no. Which I hate. So then his new plan was that it was his niece's birthday party and he wanted to take grace to it the bud family was like so obsessively like happy with their good fortune with him and how nice he was and how he presented himself that they had no problem sending grace with him and she never returned so initially he was a suspect in the disappearance for her but they the police arrested superintendent charles edward pope instead he spent 108 days in jail before he was found not guilty. And then an anonymous letter was received by Grace's parents that became the key to solving the disappearance of Grace. So I'm going to share about a little bit about the letter. In November of 1934, a letter arrived at the Bud home. Mrs. Bud was unable to read the letter herself, so her son Edward read the chilling words to his mother. Here are a few of the excerpts from the letter. And this letter was written by Albert Fish himself, and it eventually led to his arrest. And I quote, on Sunday, June the 3rd, 1928, I called on you at 406 West 15th Street, brought you pot cheese, strawberries. We had lunch. Grace sat in my lap and kissed me. I made up my mind to eat her on the pretense of make taking her to a party. Ugh, that's 
that took a turn. You said yes, she could go. I went upstairs and stripped all my clothes off. I knew I did not want, I did not want to get her blood on them. When all was ready, I went to the window and called her. Then I hid in a closet until she was in the room. When she saw me all naked, she began to cry and tried to run down the stairs. I grabbed her and she said she would tell her mama. And I'm not going to read the rest of this because it gets even more graphic. But uh, basically he goes into very graphic detail about how he killed her and she fought back. And then he cut her up and stuck her in the oven and ate her. Oh my God. He says it took nine days to eat her entire body. (gasps) Yes. Um, But she was dead before he started eating her, thankfully. If that's such a thing, being thankful for something like that. So, yeah. So, basically. If you're going to eat me, please let me be dead first. Yes. I mean, also, don't eat me. But, like, if you have to. Yes. Yeah. But, yeah. So, it it was not pretty. And then. When they turned the letter into police and police arrested Albert Fish, he confirmed that, yeah, he did write the letter and other part. Some of the parts of the letter were like true and some of it he expounded. So it's kind of like creative nonfiction. So um, but like why write a letter and leave a paper trail that he want to get caught? Or is he just so confident that he wouldn't get caught that he was like, I'm going to do this anyway. See, I'm of two thoughts on that. I think part of him was like so like dipped in psychosis at this point that he just assumed that it was a great game and he would never get caught. Oh, okay. And another part of me is like, oh, he thought he was such a mastermind that he was taunting. Mm. And that was part of the game. So when he sent the letter, this is kind of about him being arrested. So when he sent the letter, he overlooked stuff on the envelope that made it, like, easily identifiable. Like, there was an emblem on the corner of it that had initials on it for the New York Private Chauffeurs Benevolent Association. And then, like, they, once they went and interviewed that association, uh, they found out that an employee had taken some of the envelopes to Fish's boarding house because he was boarding people. So, yeah, and when police came to his home to arrest him, he was waiting and pulled a switchblade on the police. And then, um, but, I mean, nothing happened and the police subdued him. So, just a little bit about some of his other victims. Yeah, so, besides Grace Bud, he said that he killed Francis McDonald, who was nine years old, when he was sick. And then there was... I'm not going to read all of this because it gets even worse. But there was also four-year-old Billy Gaffney that he has confessed to killing. A lot of these he has, in graphic detail, talked about how he injured them. There is mentions of cutting off ears and noses, like in the Bathory story. And then he talks about cooking and eating a a large amount of them. So, yeah, Albert Fish is super, super gross. I'm not going to go into his whole trial and execution, but he did get the electric chair for killing Grace Bud. And there are several documentaries and movies made about this. There's Albert Fish and Sin, He Sound, Found Salvation. And, I mean, if y'all are interested, yeah, like, last podcast on the left is doing info on him right now. But it's just, <sighs> Albert Fish was so fucking gross. And, like I said, like, it was a very weird thing, but it could definitely fall under morbid. Oh, yeah. 
I think I might have topped your morbid a little bit. I think so. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was I was toning it down a little bit, but yeah, no, oh my god. <sighs> so yeah, that is the horrifying story of Albert Fish. Wow, I'm I'm a little speechless. <laughs> PSA, if everyone could just, like, agree that after we finish this episode, we're going to go watch Disney movies, that'd be great. A whole new world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <gasps> oh, oh, yeah, I don't even know what to say about that. That's, I don't either. I just, I can't compute. Like, it does not compute to me that people can not only murder other human beings, but, like, eat them. I don't. Yeah. But, like, enjoy it. Like, they get the sick satisfaction from it. I will say the last time that I went and stayed in a uh, uh, fuck, I can't talk. Psych (laughs) facility. There was a guy in there that I refer to as Homicidal Joe. Because, like, every morning when you get up, they take your blood pressure and your temperature and your pulse and all that. Like, your vitals. And then they ask you a series of questions like, you know, are you feeling like you're a danger to yourself or are you a danger to others? You know, that kind of thing. And I walked by this guy and he definitely said that he felt like murdering someone. He was, and he was an extremely nice person. He was so nice. Um, he thought my mom was my sister and he uh, complimented my aunt on her tattoos when they came to visit and all this. I mean, he was very nice, but he also like would point blank tell you that, he definitely wanted to kill people and yeah it just like did not compute for me either mm, yeah well ted bundy was apparently a nice guy too so yes until he <laughs> had a torso in the car or whatever i don't know i'm moving on for yes, some yes. yes so ashley gave me the word carpet <laughs> yes bought a new rug that's why i thought of that word I do enjoy random because the word makes it like a challenge to like yes. get in, you know? All right. Mm-hmm. So in 1861, Herman Webster Mudgett was born in New Hampshire, born into a wealthy family. Holmes enjoyed a privileged childhood and was said to be unusually intelligent at an early age. Still, there were some haunting signs of what was to come. It is said that at an early age, he was fascinated with skeletons and soon became obsessed with death. It may have been this that led to his interest in pursuing medicine. After graduating high school at 16, like, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Mudgett changed his name to Henry Howard Holmes and later in life was known as H.H. Holmes. Oh, Bum, bum, bum. So, Which also inspired an American horror story, horror story situation. God, words theme. are hard. I yes. seem to have a theme this, nice. this week. So American horror theme. story. <laughs> um, so Holmes studied medicine at a small school in Vermont before being accepted into the University of Michigan Medical School. While enrolled in medical school, he stole cadavers from the laboratory, burned and disfigured them, and then planted the bodies to make it look as if they had been killed by accident. Naturally. All right. The scandal behind it was that Holmes would take insurance policies on these people before planting the bodies, and then he would collect the money once they were discovered. On July 8, 1878, he married Clara A. Levering of Alton, New Hampshire, on January 28th of 1887, he bigamously married 
Mertza C. Belknap of Minneapolis, Minnesota. And they had a daughter named Lucy. Oh, I just hit my my <laughs> head butt. <laughs> Whoops. I am a professional. <laughs> it is okay. <laughs> he filed a petition for divorce from his first wife after marrying his second, but it never became final. And then he just went ahead and married his third wife, Georgiana Yoke, on January 9th, 1894. He was also the lover of Julia Smythe, the wife of Ned Connor, one of his trusted associates. And she later became one of his victims. Uh, but anyway, so he's married a lot. He had a lot of connections, but he was pretty much a scam artist at first. But in 1884, Holmes passed his medical exams, and in 1885, he moved to Chicago, where he got a job working at a pharmacy under Dr. Henry H. Holmes. Hmm. When the owner of the drugstore passed away, he left his wife to take care of the responsibilities of the store. However, Holmes convinced the widow to let him buy the store. The widow soon went missing and was never seen again. Holmes claimed that she moved to California, but this was never verified. After Holmes had become the owner of the drugstore, he purchased an empty lot across the street, and he designed and built a three-story hotel, which the neighborhood soon called the Castle. During its 1888 construction, Holmes hired and fired several construction crews so that no one would have a clear idea what he was actually doing. He was designing his infamous murder castle. That's what I'm going to start calling my house. <laughs> the murder castle. Murder. Murder. All right. So, after construction was completed in 1891, Holmes placed ads in the newspapers offering jobs for young women and advertised that the castle was a place of lodging. He also placed ads presenting himself as a wealthy man looking for a wife. So, that also connects to your last story with the newspaper ads. I wonder if they could mail him directly. Oh, my God. <laughs> I almost said an email. <laughs> All of Holmes' employees, hotel guests, fiancés, and wives were required to have life insurance policies. Holmes paid the premiums as long as they listed him as a beneficiary. So, mm. I mean, you know. And then he killed them. Sorry. But most of his fiancés and wives would soon disappear. <laughs> Yikes. As did many of the employees and guests. People in the neighborhood eventually reported that they saw many of the women enter the castle, but none of them would actually exit. In 1893, Chicago was given the honor of hosting the World's Fair, a cultural and social event that was to celebrate the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus' discovery of America. Also, again, fuck that oh, guy. that guy. The event was scheduled from May to October and attracted millions of people from all over the world. When Holmes heard about the World's Fair, he was like, hmm, this is an opportunity. Murder yard. Murder. He knew that many of the visitors would be searching for lodging, and he just so happened to have a murder castle for them to stay in. Convenient. <laughs> After being lured into the hotel, many of these out-of-town visitors would never be seen again. Shocking. The first floor of the castle had several stores, the two upper levels contain Holmes' office and over 100 rooms that were used as living quarters. Some of these rooms were soundproof and contained gas lines so that Holmes could asphyxiate his guests whenever he felt like it. Well, that's handy. Yeah. Throughout the building, there were trap doors, peepholes, stairways that led to nowhere, and chutes that led to the basement. 
I'm sure you can imagine what those were used for. It's very much like Sweeney Todd. It is. It really is. Yeah. The basement was designed as Holmes' own lab. It had a, a dissecting table, a stretching rack, a crematorium. Sometimes he would send the bodies down the chute, dissect them, strip them of their flesh, and then sell the skeleton models to medical schools. Mm. He was he was really all about making that extra buck, like, in all areas possible. Real talk. And in other cases, he would just cremate them or place the bodies into pits of acid. Like you do. Okay. Like you do. Through it all, Holmes traveled throughout the United States committing insurance scams with his accomplished Benjamin Pitzel. Once the World's Fair had ended, Chicago's economy was in a slump, and Holmes eventually abandoned the castle and focused on his insurance scams. And then he would occasionally commit some random murders along the way. Obviously. I mean, once you're in it, you might as well let your hair down. It's fine. During this time, Holmes stole horses from Texas, and then he would ship them to St. Louis, where he would sell them and make a fortune. Poor horses. But he was actually arrested for this swindle and sent to jail. While in jail, he concocted a new insurance scam with his cellmate. He said that he would take out an insurance policy for $10,000, fake his own death, and then provide his cellmate with $500 in exchange for a lawyer that could help him if any problems arose. Once Holmes was released from jail on bail, he attempted his plan. However, the insurance company was suspicious and didn't pay him. Holmes then decided to attempt a similar plan in Philadelphia. This time he had Pitzel fake his own death. However, during the scam, Holmes actually killed him and collected the money for himself. Shocking again. (laughs) Don't trust a serial killer. Just don't. Talk. Yes. So in 1894, the cellmate, who was angry that he didn't receive any money for the scam, told police about the scam and that Holmes had planned it all. The police tracked Holmes and finally caught up with him in Boston, where they arrested him and held him on an outstanding warrant for the Texas horse swindle. Yay, you know, Texas. Something, yeah, yay, Texas. Something that has, like popped up over and over again in like things that I've listened to about true crime and serial killers and all that is that ultimately their downfall has been swindling someone that has like no problem ratting them out. Like, so keep your waiters happy and you (laughs) probably won't go to jail. I know it's really sad how many of them aren't caught for like murder, but they're caught for like tax fraud. Yes. Like Al Capone. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Oh, So at the time of his arrest, he appeared as if he was going to flee the country, and police became pretty suspicious of him. Chicago police investigated his castle, where they discovered his strange and efficient methods for committing torturous murders. Many of the bodies they located were so badly dismembered and decomposed that it was hard for them to even determine how many bodies were actually there. They devoted several weeks to searching and making a floor plan of the castle, The bottom floor had been used, as I said before, as a drugstore, a candy store, and a restaurant, and also a jewelry store. The third floor, they discovered, had been divided into small apartments. The second floor was proved to be a labyrinth of narrow, widening passages with doors that opened to brick walls, hidden stairways, and cleverly concealed doors, blind hallways, secret panels, hidden passages, and a vault that was big enough for just one person to stand in. Yikes. 
That room was a homemade gas chamber equipped with a chute that would carry the body directly into the basement. Investigators suddenly realized that the implications of the iron-plated chamber when they found a single scuffed mark of a footprint inside the door. It was a small print that had been made by a woman who had attempted to escape her fate. Good on her. (sighs) In addition to all the bizarre additions to the floor, the second level had 35 guest rooms. Half of them were fitted as ordinary sleeping chambers. And there were also indications that they'd been occupied by various women who had worked for homes, also by tenants from during the fair and by the women that he had seduced through newspaper ads, because apparently those work. Gosh. Several of the rooms were without windows, and they could be made airtight by closing the doors and his uh, gas lines. Others were lined with sheet iron and his vest with scorch marks on the walls. That's a lot of work going into it this. It is. Shit. He and, like, the Winchester Mystery House should have gotten together. <laughs> or not. Or oh not. Oh, my God. <laughs> this floor also contained Holmes' private apartment. It consisted of a bedroom, a bath, and two small chambers that were used as offices. The apartment was located at the front of the building, looking over 63rd Street. And the floor of the bathroom, concealed under a heavy rug. Carpet. Okay. <laughs> the I hit the mic again. Jesus. <laughs> you were so excited. It's fine. I know. Uh, so after they lifted the rug, they found that there was a trap door and a stairway that descended to a room about eight feet square. Two doors led off the chamber, one to a stairway that exited out onto the street, and the other gave access to a chute that led down to the basement. The Chamber of Horrors, as they called it, in the basement stunned the men even further. Here they found blood-splattered dissecting table in his laboratory that had all his instruments and various jars of poison. They also found the acid bath that he used and the crematorium, which contained ash and portions of bones that had not burned in the intense heat. A search of the ashes also revealed that a watch that had belonged to Minnie Williams, uh, one of his victims, they found some buttons of a dress and several charred tintype photographs. Under the staircase, they found a a ball made from women's hair. Like, okay. Mm, Yep, that's a thing. (sighs) So, buried in the floor, the police also found a huge vat of corrosive acid and Two quick lime pits, which were capable of devouring an entire body in a matter of hours. <sighs> in a hole in the middle of the floor, more bones were found. After being examined, they were believed to be the bones of a small child between the ages of six and eight. The police investigation spread through Chicago, Indianapolis, and Toronto. While conducting their investigation, Toronto police covered the bodies of the Pitzel children who had gone missing sometime during Holmes' insurance fraud spree. Uh, Linking Holmes to their murders, police arrested him, and they convicted him of their murders. It was then that he confessed to 28 other murders. However, through investigations and missing person reports, it's believed that he was responsible for up to 200 murders. Yikes. He was convicted in 1985. He tried to appeal, but he lost. And is also thought to be America's first serial killer. In May of 1896, he was hanged. He was buried in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. 
The castle was soon remodeled as an attraction, and it was named the Holmes Horror Castle, but it burned down right after the opening. That's fortunate. (laughs) So Holmes' life is the subject of many books and documentaries, including The Devil in the White City, which I highly recommend. And it's actually in the process of becoming a movie that is directed by Martin Scorsese, and he will be played by Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, wow. I know. Okay. I thought that okay was with that. Nice little tidbit there. And then also, I thought this was pretty fun. As fun as you can get for serial killers. But in 2017, the History Channel aired an eight-part series called The American Ripper, where Holmes' great-great-grandson, Jeff Mudgett, explored a theory that H.H. Holmes is actually Jack the Ripper. Yes, I was going to ask you if you'd heard about that. (laughs) This series investigates the rumor that Holmes had somehow escaped his execution, concluding with a visit to his gravesite, and they exhumed his remains. So the idea is that Holmes was arrested in Philadelphia, and newspapers actually reported at the time that they thought maybe he pulled off one more swindle where he had somebody else hanged and escaped. Yikes. So they dug him up, and the great-great-grandson said, chills went up and down my spine to see that skeleton in that skull with a brain still inside, which Ooh. is a phenomenon that scientists still have not explained, which also weird that's yeah i'm actually really surprised they didn't pull it and stick it in a jar right i would have i mean that's like a medical anomaly yeah but spoiler alert after two months of dna analysis dental records and dna testing it revealed a conclusive link to jeff mudgett proving that the remains were actually holmes Thanks, science. (laughs) While the evidence ended speculation surrounding this theory, Mudgett said it still hasn't proved whether or not Holmes is Jack the Ripper. There are too many coincidences for this, he said. And I know that the evidence is out there to prove my theory, and I will not give up until I find it. Yeah, well, I saw something, like, I didn't watch that actual eight-part series, but I saw, I read stuff online that said that uh, a lot of his trips to Europe coincided with some of the Ripper murders Mm -hmm. and so that's why people think and that's also why they think that they ended so suddenly is that he came back to the U.S. and didn't go back I mean Uh, that makes as much as sense as any other theory for yeah I mean I still don't think it's him but but yeah I don't know I think it's Prince Albert's dude that we talked about I know yeah well the surgeon too that theory because yes. it's such a medical like incision for most. Or of the theory that it was a woman, that too. I that also too. That there's so many theories. I was yeah. gonna do Jack the Ripper, but I was like, we do not have enough time because yeah. that would be that's like gonna be have its own episode. Yeah. <laughs> too many theories. Yes. Cool. 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 Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember. So I remember like a long, long time ago, I saw this either movie or tv show where it was a home for people who were had lost their sight and their like caretaker was like abusing them and so at night they would wake up and hear like hammers and stuff and thought there was just their imagination to go back to sleep and then they wake up in the basement and the people that had been staying there had turned the basement into this like torture labyrinth and it was all dark and the walls were lined with razor blades and he had to like Ah! make through the maze yeah, and I can't remember what that was called, and it's going to bother me, but that makes me think of the H.H. H. Holmes, like, torture castle. 
Yeah, yeah, no, it's... But yeah, again, they used him as a character on American Horror Story, like the shoots and the all the stuff he did. Yeah, he was a psychopath. Yes. Really terrifying that he had the means and the money and the creativity to create that. Yeah. And the unsuspecting people of the World's Fair, because you're going to have just millions of people. Yes. And there's just so many people you would never even notice if somebody went missing. That's so terrifying. It Yeah, it's really scary. So, are we ready for funny? Yes. Okay. Uh, I have to admit, this was really hard. <laughs> I didn't know how you were going to do it, honestly. <laughs> uh, we're going to find out. <laughs> so, oh God, this, oh, this was so hard. So, I found an article... Of eight goofy serial killer nicknames that undermine the brutality of their crimes. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about three of them just super briefly, because I figured we at this point would need a little levity, but also to cut it short because God, oh my God. Okay. I know, so we're first, get like three hours recording. Oh God, it's because <laughs> we keep stalling because this is horrifying. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you the nickname. And then you're going to tell me what you think the crime is. Actually, I'm going to go two of them, not three of them. You're going to tell me what you think their crime is. Okay. Firstly, the giggler. <laughs> oh, God. That sounds like my, like, supervillain name. <laughs> <laughs> um, throat slashing? Let's find out. Okay. In the early hours of June 15th, 1969, a man who laughed and identified himself as the Giggler called the Boston Police Department to report the body of a dead man in a construction site, leading law enforcement to discover the corpse of Joseph Breen. The call had been placed by Kenneth Harrison, Breen's killer and the person who had murdered a six-year-old girl years earlier in 1967 by throwing her off a bridge. Yeah. Before he was captured, Harrison killed two more victims in 1969. Kenneth Martin, a young boy he strangled to death with twine, and Clover Parker, an elderly woman he tossed off a bridge. He really likes throwing people off bridges. Thankfully, Harrison was arrested after a witness remembered seeing him near the area where Martin's body was found, and he confessed to killing the boy as well as the other murders. The killer, who named himself the Giggler, was given one life sentence in 1970 and three additional life sentences in 1972, but in 1989, he took his own life by overdosing on prescription meds while at the Bridgewater State Hospital for the Criminally Insane. Okay, you should name yourself. Right. Like, like, that's just a cop-out. Exactly. And, like, if you're you do, so explain why. Yeah, you're so lame that they can't even give you a cool name. So you gotta be like, guys, just call me this. It's gonna stick. No, yes. stop trying to make it happen. Exactly. It's never gonna happen. <laughs> so, like, I'm not gonna talk about this one in depth, but, like, it reminds me of the weepy voice killer. Oh, ever... yes. Okay, yeah. so Criminal Minds also did an episode about him. And he would call 911 either right before or right after he killed someone and would be, like, crying on the phone and have a really watery, wa- wavering voice. Yeah, but please stop me. Stop me. Stop me, me before stop I kill me. again. <laughs> yeah, so they called him the weepy voice killer. So, like... At least he didn't give that to himself. This dude was like, call me the giggler. I throw women off bridges. Like, what? That makes no sense. Wine and Crime did a really good one on the Weepy voice killer, by the way. It was really... They did, like, a 
spot on like reenactment. They like oh, read oh. what he wrote. It was so funny. <laughs> but yeah, so like at least he got his. So my second one, because I said these are super short. His name is Charlie Chopoff. <laughs> <laughs> my first thought is he like chops some dicks off. That is exactly where I went. Uh, so for more than two years, a serial killer terrorized the people of Manhattan, stabbing four black and Hispanic boys to death and mutilating their genitals with a knife or a razor. So you oh, were spot on. I was, unfortunately. It's, people. it's a contest you definitely don't want to win. But <laughs> I don't want to win. <laughs> In the case of the murder of nine-year-old Wendell Hubbard, the killer completely severed the young boy's penis, leading the neighborhood children to give the unidentified murderer the nickname Charlie Chopoff. Nine? Oh yes. my god! Yes. Yuck. Gross. Everyone shame Terry for picking all these penis mutilation people. <laughs> On May shame. 15th... Shame. 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 Ding, ding. Ding, ding. I need my little shame bell. Yes. On May 15th of 1974, the authorities arrested Erno Soto when he tried to kidnap a boy and he confessed to killing eight-year-old Stephen Cropper, one of the victims attributed to Charlie Chopoff, in 1973. In 1976, Soto stood trial for the murder of Cropper and he was found not guilty by reason of insanity and sent to a psychiatric hospital. While some people question whether he actually murdered the young boys that were attributed to Charlie Chopoff, the murder stopped after the trial and a surviving victim said the accused killer looked very simil- similar to the man who attacked him. Huh. So, yeah, some of the other names that I'm not going to talk about but were fun is the Brick Moron <laughs> and the Doodler. Ooh, the Doodler. Yes, and why I asked about the Blood Countess when you talked about Elizabeth Bathory is because this article says that, well, it also talks about Richard Ramirez. It talks about uh, how Richard Ramirez was the Night Stalker and uh, Elizabeth Bathory was the Blood Countess. There's the Soulfolk Strangler. Shout out to our college alma mater hometown who he's not a killer, but there was the toe, the toe suck guy for a while. (laughs) The toe sucker. As far as I remember, there were at least two women who were like sitting on their front porches or on their stoops and a random man they did not know came up to them, sucked their toes and walked away. I think he took the whole toad suck Arkansas a little too seriously. <laughs> he did. They did finally catch that guy, though. I don't know if they ever caught the guy who was stabbing people in the butts, though. That wasn't in Conway. <laughs> he was the butt slasher. Oh, my God. I don't remember that. Guys, if you're going to commit crimes, make sure you have a cold moniker to go by. Or just don't commit crimes and just yeah. come up with a funding name. That could yeah. work, too. Yeah. Yeah. I went, to, I went by AJ for a long time. That's cool. I mean, a lot of people call me the Amazon just because I'm six foot and I'm a girl, so that's weird. I call you Keener. Yeah, I get a lot of Keener Beaner. Yeah. Yeah. Get Ashery. Yeah. <laughs> Although, there's only one friend that calls me. Okay, so when I was Uber. little, I really liked Fraggle Rock. Okay, this, this is going to show my age, okay? And Boober was the cute fraggle. So my family called me Boober. And then I told like my friend Jenny when I was like 16, that was my nickname. And it is stuck. We're 34 now. And she still yep. calls me Boober. She gave me a Boober doll and the Fraggle Rock DVD set for my birthday. <laughs> it was awesome. I love her. She's the only person that I allow to call me that. Yes. <laughs> ah, good, good times. So yeah, so that is our horrifying episode 10 
I hope you guys are still with us. <laughs> Please still be here. We're sorry. We'll do something happy next week. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, we still got morbid, but we'll try to make it a little less heavy. But... Morbid, but wholesome. 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 Guys. This is what happens. So. Oh, so. We are actually about to start filming our Drunk Dive this week. And if you would like to listen to our Drunk Dive episodes, join us on Patreon. Woo-hoo. It is pod, And we have a lot of really cool stuff, guys. Like, we're posting something like every other day. So there's a lot of extra content. So things you're not going to get on here or on our social media. So go in there and check out the tiers. And it's really cheap. It's like 2 or $5. Help some sisters out. Help yes. us. Yes. Please help us. <laughs> I mean, also hope that we get these jobs, but also help us. <laughs> I mean, we are very confident that we'll get jobs, but also please help us. Yes. <laughs> so we can keep doing this. Yes. It's a lot of fun, but also expensive. So please help us. Real talk. So, <laughs> yes. While you are looking for our Patreon, you can also find our merchandise online. At shop.spreadshirt.com slash historical AF pod. We have such cute stuff. We've got some stuff for the fourth up. We've got mugs and buttons and bags and hats. And oh my God, so much stuff that I cannot afford all of it. And I want to. Yeah, literally every time you Facebook or like Instagram us, like that should be on merch. I make it. So we have like alien stuff. We have little boots. We have have everything. It's really cute. And it's the best material. I've actually gotten to wear, like, I only want to wear my merch to, like, the gym because it's so comfortable. So comfortable. (laughs) Yes. I, like, I wore my t-shirt to, like, a doctor's appointment that I knew I'd be at for a really long time the other day because it's so comfortable. My husband wears his shirt all the time. He loves it. Yeah. It's, it's very, I was surprised how much I love it. But, yeah, I wear it all the time. Yeah, I was I was super skeptical since I'd never heard of Spreadshirt before we started using it, but it's it's been awesome. So yeah, I really enjoy. It. And if you want to follow us on said social media, we are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Historical AF Pod. And if you would like to email us a story, you can do uh-huh. that at historicalafpod at gmail.com we are looking for if you have a cool family history story if your hometown or where you're living now has cool urban legend or history if you've just been to a really cool historical place and you want to tell us about it we'll read that on our extra af episode and we have one coming up so you guys need to send them in yes we want all of your stories i like love i love reading about people's shit i am such a nosy bitch so please send us stuff (laughs) We love it. We love, like, really cool history. It's like, if you have, like, a cool, great whatever, just let us know. Even yeah. if you don't think it's very historical. Like, my mom's doing, <laughs> she sent us a story. And I'm going to do a quick little history on the town. So, if you have, like, an urban legend, we'll do a little deep dive on the history, too. So, kind of yep. be a little cool. So, yeah. So, that was the end of everything? Or do we have anything else? Um. Well, I mean, if you still want to, like review us and give us some five yes. stars that'd be cool i'm not gonna say no i mean it would not hurt my feelings at all if you left us five stars on uh reviews i mean honestly every time you guys review <clears throat> us we like squeal and text each other so 
We Give do. Give us some happiness. We need some happiness after this episode. So yes. Here. Yes. And like spread our good cheer to everyone. Tell your friends, family, coworkers, all of them to listen to us and your favorite podcast. Tell them to listen to us. And I'm losing my voice. <laughs> oh, no. And <laughs> I think we're still at bonus points on PodCoin. So if you're on PodCoin... Yes. Uh, you can listen to us and get double points and you can trade it in for like Amazon and Starbucks gift cards and stuff like that. So it's really fun. But, yeah. Get Starbucks gift card and then go get a caramel macchiato for me because that's my favorite. Ooh, I just had one for the first time and it was really good. <sighs> so I really liked it. So good. Except I'm on a diet now. So that's a lot of sugar. <laughs> Can't have it. God damn it. Nice. <laughs> anyway, we love you guys. We love you so much. See you next week. Bye.